I will not yield to your power, fiend. If the only way to Loki leads through you, then the countless souls you have slain will be atoned for by my blade. Janice, I am confident in your support. I will do everything of which I am able, Lady Valkyrie. If one guilty break is insufficient, I shall hit the beast until it falls. Foolish Valkyrie, even Odin himself cannot compare to me. I'll crush you, weakling. Chief Kimby, I just saw a gang of mad agents hijack that transmission tower. Uncle Gadget's dealing with a paperclip burgering Thailand, but he needs to get here right now. What's that, Chief? Mad agents are attempting to control a demonic monstrosity that could single-handedly bring about Ragnarok? No need to worry. I'm always on duty. Go, go, Gadget Space Launch! Something is happening to Bloodbane. His focus is clearly elsewhere. Now is the time to strike. What? Mad agents? Why is Gadget here? He's spraying aftershave on the controls. Get Gadget now! That's the way, Uncle Gadget. Those mad agents needed to smell better. His healing has stopped. Now is the time. You're mine, monster. Defiler of souls, your ending is now. Curse you all. Mad's greatest plan, ruined by a battle maiden and Gadget. I'll get you next time, Gadget. And you too, Valkyrie. Next time. There are RPGs long forgotten, beyond that which is known to the modern gamer. It is a catalog vast as space, and timeless as myth and legends. It is the middle ground where panelists from RP Gamer discuss computer and console RPGs from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. This is a dimension of adventure beyond your imagination. This is the RPG Backtrack. And here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Philip Willis and Mike Meeky. Welcome to RBBBPD something backtrack number 44 Ragnarok. Somebody around here really likes Valkyries. And uh, I've got a couple of people to help me talk about the Valkyrie profile games. First up, my co host, my cohort, my man at arms, Mr. Mike Meeky. I'm going to get about as far as I could throw a Dell Elephant with one hand tied behind my back. And with, uh, with that Inspector Gadget and Dr. Claw, please, I believe it. And uh, Mr. Roy, how you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing just fine. And last but absolutely not least, Miss Sam Marcello. Marcello! Marshmallow? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm going to go cry in a corner now. Mellow. I'm going to just walk off this show, and then you guys are going to have fun trying to talk about this without me. Drink a mellow yellow? No, Sam, Sam, he's just hungry. It's subliminal. <laughs> Phil wants to eat marshmallows. Marshmallows. Sam, Team marshmallows. And, and knowing Phil, there's probably going to be vodka with them. Vodka and marshmallows. Mmm. <laughs> for fire. So, but not too much roasted, because you don't want to burn off the alcohol. So, where <laughs> uh, Here in the month of May, we've actually got three shows to do, with one of them being an absolutely huge PC extravaganza. I believe it's on the Ultima series, right, Mr. Minky? That would be the next one, yes. So we'll 
So we're going to go ahead and squeeze a blast from the recent past into this show because when we do that PC Pit Stop show, we want to make sure we allow plenty of time to talk about the menagerie of uh, Ultima games that are out on the PC. So we're going to take a quick... Menagerie, Phil. You're almost making it sound like the lingerie. <laughs> Not correct the host unless you want to sound like a female for the rest of the show. All right. So... Well, that'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and in Sam's case, I'll make Sam sound like... Uh... Dr. Flop. Uh, Rose like Roseanne Arnold, because that'd be hilarious. A, mo- a mog. There you go. A mog. Oh, yeah. A chocobo. And- and, yeah. and Phil, I know we don't have to worry about that because you and I use the exact same software and we are both too cheap to have a software that powerful. <laughs> I'm meticulous in my editing. So we'll be right – I remember – and I won't get into a side story. We'll be right back with our blast from the recent past. save the best for last. We're going to start off talking about Sacred 2. And this game it came out on the PC and I believe the platforms a little bit afterwards, about a couple of years ago. Uh, actually, yep. this is the Xbox 360 version I'm looking at here, but I, I don't think... I guess I should have looked that up beforehand. Exactly what did... They didn't all come out at the same time, did they? Nope. The PC version came out first. It actually came out a year before. Uh, the multi, the uh, the PlayStation Three and uh, uh, 360 versions. So it came out a year before. I remember this because our first review on the game was a PC version. Right, and so technically we're talking about the platform versions uh, that came out on May 12, 2009. Here, um, Sacred Two is developed by uh, Ascar. Is it Ascaron? Uh, published by Deep Silver, CDV, and a whole host of other people. Uh, I don't know which one actually did the, the platform version, but uh, this was released on the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360. This is an action RPG experience rated M. Are you serious? What the heck earned an M in that game? I played Scantily it. clad armor. What, what the heck earned an M? I missed that. Is there a patch or something I didn't download? Where's my Strategically placed. Uh, strategically placed armor pieces. There's lots of games with strategically placed armor pieces. They don't get M's. M means that the strategically pieced armor wasn't so strategic. Is it like one of those games from the 90s with parental codes that you didn't enter? I, I, Do you need to enter a parental code to see the nudity and violence that are all through the game? I, I, uh, man, I'm a, I'm a little stunned. I, I honestly, I, I played it on the PC. Maybe the platforms were just that much better, but I don't remember anything even coming close to earning an M rating on that game. I must have missed that part. Shoot, uh, boy, this wasn't The Witcher. <laughs> At least The Witcher, I got to. Anyway, so 
The Witcher gave you nudie cards. There's that's, a difference. That's right. And it only got the M rating after they re-released the patch that lets you actually look at the nudie, nudie cards. cards. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I don't know. I miss the dancing nudie people in Sacred somehow. Anywho, um, so did, did any of y'all get the pleasure and honor of playing Sacred? Not in the slightest. <laughs> nope. No idea. I've never pl- never played Sacred 2. Or the original. And based on what I've all heard about both of them, they're not that really that great. So probably didn't miss anything. All you need to know is apparently they are third-person looters. Yeah. I and mean, that's about it. <laughs> this, this is something that you play to kind of get your Diablo fix on. It's, it's another uh, in a string of uh, Diablo cones that have been coming out between Diablo two and three and whatever have you but um i i played sacred one a lot and eventually got sacred two on the pc when it was on one of those steam sales and i played it for maybe a dozen hours i guess the immature rating goes after the first dozen hours or so because i honestly it's just pretty much one of those games where you you pick a character uh you can pick between the seraphim the shadow warrior the high elf the dryad the temple guardian the inquisitor each one has a different play style a little bit of a different uh beginning um and uh, you go out and you just click on stuff and kill it. You pick up skills, and you can pick up different weapons. One of the neat things about the game is that as you pick those things up, they reflect pretty well on your character. Uh, the graphics are, at least, in the, unfortunately, I'm speaking from the PC version, not the platform version, but on the, the PC version, they were they were pretty good. Um, uh, they were really nice. In fact, I think this was one of the games that actually made use of the DirectX 10 uh, technology, because uh, I remember playing it on my wife's Windows 7 computer, and, and some of the uh, extra detail was definitely notable there. Um, the gameplay, you know, it's you know, as we keep saying, a lot of these games try to to emulate Diablo or come close to Diablo, and unfortunately, none of them ever do it. Um, you're definitely going to go around. You're going to click on things. You're going to kill them. You're going to use skills, you know, that and pick up lots and lots of loot that uh, you can sell. You can put uh, gems into slots. Uh, pretty much the standard stuff. You pick up uh, skills uh, which you upgrade on your character uh, to various effects. Uh, it doesn't quite have the uh, tightness that uh, that Diablo has, from from what I understand. A lot of the well, um, go ahead. I, I think I remember one thing. Like the the biggest thing that everyone loved about it was, given the the size of the world, was the mounts you can get for it. Mm. Mm-hmm. I missed out on the mounts too, but like I said, I only played for about a dozen hours. So yeah, but usually, yeah, I remember Sacred One. You could that was one of the things of this now about Sacred One. You could get on the horse and the mount, which was kind of cool for getting around kind of quickly. But it was almost kind of and Sacred One, anyways. It was really kind of underwhelming because if you zipped around too fast, the monsters would follow you and somehow always catch up, and you'd end up getting down trying to kill them anyways. And it just anywho, um, you know, Mister Adrian Din Alden reviewed this for our site at rpgamer.com. And he gave it a three out of five. Some of the highlights of his review said that uh, that the intuitive control scheme on the platform version is easy to come back to after extended time away. Uh, the, there's an expansive world with MMO levels of content, great character customizations. Unfortunately, it has a bland, almost non-existent story, blandly told, I should say. And that's absolutely true. The story is absolutely forgettable throwaway. Which you know, with a lot of these games, you're not usually playing too much for the story, but. You know, should be noted. Side quests are distracting, he says, and mostly pointless. And yeah, you kind of get the MMO, you got the MMO size of the world, but you've also got the MMO type of quest in there. Go over here, do this thing, and you really don't know why that's important to the big picture half the time, if at all. And uh, he also says nothing new here. There's nothing about Sacred 2. I, I do like the aesthetics myself, but there's not really a whole lot else this is going to that 
comes across as original uh, in this game, except for maybe the mouse, so <laughs> which was in the first game. Um, so, anywho, we're not going to spend too much more time on that unless y'all have any questions or thoughts. Nah. <laughs> um, Sacred 2 is is definitely one of those games nowadays that you can pick up on the cheap. And my uh, my advice to gamers is if you're looking for uh, something, especially some you know people on platforms, you don't probably have uh, on the 360 or whatnot. You probably don't have a ton of Diablo type of choices. I know there was a number of them on the PlayStation too, like uh, the Baldur's Gate games and uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance and whatever have you. Was kind of along those lines, uh, the X Men Legend games. But uh, Champions of Norath comes to mind as well. Anywho, <laughs> on the Xbox 360, may not be a ton of choices in that that matter. So if you're looking for something to kind of fill that niche of just going out there, uh, this is a, a solid entry, but nothing that's going to make you... Not superlative, not terrible. Yeah, nothing that's going to make you jump out of your shirt. Although well, I have to say, the, the 360 does seem to have a better RPG library than the original Xbox. Mm. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah! Oh, for for RPGs overall, no, no doubt. <laughs> oh gosh, you don't. That wasn't that wasn't too hard to beat. <laughs> Boy, the, I think it did beat the Nintendo sixty four though. Well, yeah, that was even worse. <laughs> yeah, what, what did I have Quest there? Ogre the Battle sixty four. I think was about it. So uh, no, don't don't, don't forget Quest. Yeah, Quest sixty four. <laughs> yeah. Awful game. Uh, 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 Although uh, I hear Paper Mario was really good, but we're getting off track. <laughs> well, oh, and for those that do have a PC of gaming quality, um, and if you're looking for that Diablo clone, Torchlight is a much better choice. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, does Torchlight play well with the um, with the on the console with the controller scheme? Did they work that out pretty well? Um, uh, Glenn reviewed that one. I, he he said it was fairly decent. Yeah. So go and check. Um. Yeah. Go and check rpgamer.com and check that out because abs- I know on the PC I absolutely adore Torchlight. Um. So the next game is not going to um, whelm overwhelm our review or our listeners with its awesomeness, but its title just may. Shin Megami Tensei Devil Summoner Two. Raidu Kenzuwa versus King Abaddon, or something along Raido those lines. Kuzunoha yeah, what you versus just said. King Abaddon. Yeah, yeah, what you just said. Um, <laughs> and this was uh, developed by Atlas, published by Atlas. I can't say anything after I tried pronouncing that name. This was released in North America on May 12, 2009, an action RPG, one of the last games to, to come out there for the PlayStation 2. Um, and this was rated... This one's also rated... And what is it with the M games today? Okay, okay, Sam, what in King Rabadon or whatever it was worth the M rating, aside from just trying to pronounce this name? You have to be like, you know, a third-year college student to pronounce that properly, so I can understand that, but... Uh, what what the, what the heck? Some demons? Come on now. They're just coming well, off this M for anything, aren't they? Much like the rest of the SMT series... <laughs> Have you ever um, played a Persona game? They Phil? don't have. They have some demons and some talk about God and stuff. This is not worth an M rating. Um, a lot of them have also a lot of gore, Phil. A little gore never hurt anybody, okay? A little blood. Yeah, but the moment there's gore, no, no, no. The moment there's gore, the SRB has a field, or the ESRB. See, now I can't talk thanks to Did you. Fallout 3 get an M? <laughs> yes, it did. No, there's, yes. well, there's some brains being splattered on that one. Anywho, so, um... Um, all I know is that is when this I... one of the SMT games that features a deity which you must destroy? <sighs> I Most of them do. I played any of the Rido games, so I don't actually know what the difference 
is I just know that from what I've I've watched Scott play, it's a very um, film noir like murder mystery story. So it's a lot of like you're a detective, you have demons to help you solve your mystery, stuff happens, things get set on fire, woohoo, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, pretty much. You just wrapped it up in a nutshell. Um, yeah. that, that's the, the the short, concise SAT version. <laughs> and okay. and and I'm sure that as with a lot of the Shimigami games, we have some demons in, involved, and I'm sure there's some negotiating Always. with them. That yep, that's still prevalent. <laughs> still, still in there. You can um, uh, the uh, you know, and looking over uh, Mr. Uh, Billy Mad Hatter Young's review, he talked about the combat very fondly. It was one of the parts of the games where he likes sound more like an action RPG. But uh, but you can uh, still do your negotiating with the demons and whatnot to uh, to get things that you need, like an yeah. easy health refill or whatnot. And and you can level up your character and your demons just as you can most of the Shimegami games. So he was very happy with the battle system. What's all that laughing going on back there? Who's laughing at me? I hear that. Is that Marshmallow? Marshmallow, you better stop laughing at me. I'm not laughing, not in the slightest. Sure, you aren't. Um, Billy also said that he uh, he said that he liked the very serious stories with the humorous undertones. That the soundtrack was quite catchy, um, but he felt that the game provided very little direction. Especially, uh, I was reading his review. He seems like they ran into some real big problems there towards the end. Uh, the game was very vague on what to do next, and it became very frustrating very quickly. Um, so something to kind of keep in mind. This is, sounds like one of those games that, especially in the last chunk of it, you're going to want to have an FAQ handy. Indeed. And uh, so, and he also said that some of the enemies require specific skills that are not used normally. So again, another reason to have an FAQ handy. Um, so I, I kind of share Billy's sentiment when it comes to games that require FAQs to prepare for properly or get through. They make me cranky. But all right, but the battle system sounds like it might be worth it. Mm, so check it out. An RPG. Yeah, I understand. Pretty much every SMT game features combat that you have to think about. Mm. Very strategic for the most part, and that's because SMT games love things like instant death. Uh-huh. And uh, so those those moments are always really frustrating. It's like, oh, I just died because the game was like, I use insta kill. Yeah, it's like no. It's really tough when games have mysteries built in that you know, you know, require you to have an FAQ to figure out. Which kind of segues to our next game, Magician's Quest: Mysterious Times. <laughs> How is that for a clever segue, huh? You're on the level of Chris. Woohoo! All right. Magician's Quest Mysterious Times, developed by Konami, uh, published by Konami on the Nintendo DS. This is one of those cute little life simulation type of RPG adventures, rated E10. Now, see, this should get an M rating. I see a wizard in there. I think I see, like, a moon grinning at me in the background. He looks kind of devious. Yeah, I should have gotten an M rating. Maybe it has a nudie witch. Nudie witch. So I understand we have a local expert who can help talk to us a little bit about this game. Isn't that right, Mr. Roy? I've played it for a little bit, yes. Uh, um, well, I've never played Animal Crossing, but from everything I understand, uh, they pretty much made this game to be a clone of it in every single way. Um, the game has it primarily revolves around a going-to-school mechanic. 
to where um, the, the simulation for it is you're a wizard popped into a world full of other wizards who are all anthropomorphic animals. Mm-hmm. And um, you're going into a school run by anthropomorphic animal wizards. And you take on classes and you go through side quests and the game has no end. It, it, it just keeps going and going and going. It's like The Sims. Mm-hmm. It, it goes on for as long as you want it to. I would have been asking to be put out of my misery then. And for um, each individual... I like Moon. Um, as for the, it has one quest for every single day of the year that you could download on a specific day, so theoretically you could do all of it. But I don't think there's anyone with that kind of tenacity. Uh-huh. Oh, there probably are a few people, given the way that every single game on GameFAQs has a diehard group of people who love it to death. Yeah, but we've established GameFAQs is full of special people. Well, yes, with that caveat. <laughs> the GameFAQs does have its uses. Oh, yes, the facts. <laughs> Unless people go to GameFAQs for the scintillating and witty conversations. I get told on a regular basis that I have a vagina and therefore shouldn't review. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> let's, let's That's my favorite comment. <laughs> We're getting dangerous territory. Oh boy, oh boy. Well, what was that one that got posted a few months ago saying about no, the No, no, we're not we're not no. digressing. We are focusing on the games. Ah, Magician's Quest Mysterious Times received a 2.5 out of 5 from Zach Wellhouse. He said that it was a comfortable game for casual players with a whimsical character design and interesting use of time mechanics. However, it lacked death, and cleaning the classroom after turning the power off without saving, that just sucked. So, yeah. It was definitely one of those games that went way underneath my radar. <laughs> It's a game that easily outstays its welcome. It has this, probably has its target audience. Think of think of it. It's it's like the people who play Harvest Moon. So like me, you know, you can play Harvest Moon forever and ever and ever, but you get to a point where it's like, you know, kill me now. Yeah. How do you determine when a Harvest Moon game is finished, Sam? For me, for when I review it, very yeah. simple. I get married. <laughs> as soon as I get married, I get credits, and then I'm like, yay, credits! Okay, I can actually stop now and review the game. Um, marriage takes a while, so... <laughs> well, it, it's, it's easier to determine in the Rune Factory games. Mm. Yeah. Well, speaking of games that can get painful the longer you play them, Steel Princess, developed by Climax Entertainment, published by Atlas. This is a Nintendo DS single-player puzzle platformer. I guess it must be RPG-ish, because it's reviewed on our site, I believe. Uh, this was released... Uh, yeah, I'm going to chalk most of that up to it being from Climax, which has specialized in almost nothing but RPGs. Ah, this is uh, this was released in North America on May 19, 2009, and our very Mr. Mike Minky will provide us some expert insight as to Steel Princess and why it's so... not so good. <laughs> yeah... You know, I actually requested this to review two years ago now because I've had some fun with most of the Climax games I've played, with the exception of Time Stalkers, which we'll discuss some other time. Ha ha ha. Uh, but this one, 
it's not really an RPG because your your stat gains are fixed and you can't really improve them in, in any way. Most of it is a puzzle game of sorts and a very, very obnoxious one because Climax seems to have designed every level for you to complete in exactly one way. And your mission is to figure out exactly what that one way is. And if you get it wrong, then you have to start the level over because you fail. <laughs> and particularly, you have a whip and you can throw enemies around and you can hit orbs in the sky to jump around a lot. But again, if you make just one tiny mistake, especially in the later levels, then you have to start over. Um, also, keeping with Climax's tradition of loving the isometric view, hey, everyone remembers the isometric games, right? Mm-hmm. Especially uh-huh. playing action games in isometric view. Oh, yeah, those are awesome. Now, I'll say this. On the DS, it's a little better than it was on 16-bit systems, but you still go, where am I? What am I under? What am I about to touch? It can be hard to tell. Um, I like some of the music. The, But yeah, I've just summed up the essence of the game for you. You are solving puzzles. You must solve them in the right way. And if you don't, you get to start over and try again. And there are several levels late in the game that I had to st- try at least a dozen times before I finally got them. There's no real penalty for it. You just keep going after it again and again and again until you either get sick of the game and shut it off forever or scream at it, or scream at it in the review. Um, yeah, let me, I'm looking through my review because I have managed to purge a lot of my memories of the game. And let's see here. The, the areas of the game like to recycle the same terrain, so if you like to see new things all the time, you won't get them here. Um, the story, well, yeah, there is a story, which... Most puzzle games don't really provide, but it's not much of one. The boss battles are the only time it comes really close to being fun, but they don't last very long. Then you go back to fighting or to navigating the dungeon labyrinths. And there, I've said everything I need to say. This is this was not fun at all, and I have purged it from my memory for a reason. <laughs> I was going to say, Mike, probably the worst choice for a gift from Employee of the Month, huh? Mm. Worst uh, choice ever. You, you know, regret that one, don't you? I can think of a couple that could have been worse, but since I didn't get Heroes of Mana as a as an employee gift, then yeah, this is the worst. <laughs> so there you go. May two thousand nine just wasn't a good month for for RPGs. May it rest in peace. While we take a moment to silently cry over these over these really bad games. <laughs> We're going to let you listen to some wonderful music from the Valkyrie Profile series. We'll be right back after this.
back to talk about the Valkyrie Profile games. We're going to kick this one off with Valkyrie Profile, developed by Tri-Ace, Tri-Crescendo, something or other, and the PSP port was done by uh, Square, who was it, T-O-S-E, that's Square Enix, right? Um, no, it's still Tri-Ace. <laughs> still Tri-Ace, okay. It's published by Square Enix this time around, that's the yeah, difference. published by Square Enix, absolutely, for the PSP version, and by Enix for the PS1 version. This was a released on the PlayStation 1 in North America in August 29, 2000, and on the PSP, re-released North America July 18, 2006. Huh. Must have, when did it come to the, did it come to the PSN store after that? Because I thought I just Not got at it. all. Never been on there. Oh, you know, I must have picked it up used afterwards. That's what I'm thinking of. This is a console RPG single-player experience rated T for teen. So, but is it T for terrific or T for terrible? Oh, T for terrific. Terrific. Why is that, Miss Sam? Um, this is the only game I've ever played more than five times. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of time, Um, Sam. (laughs) It's my, well, I'm just going to throw it, it's my favorite RPG of all time. Mm, And and after playing it, I can see why she would think that. And I, it's not my favorite RPG of all time, but it's by far the best PS One RPG I've played yet. Well, not by far, but it is the best PS One RPG I've played so far. Let's let's kick it off by setting setting the stage. Talk about the story for a little bit. Okay, you play. Actually, let's start the a different way. When the game opens, you are a young girl who has just been sold into slavery. It's your last day in the small town that you live in, and it just so happens the boy who's had a crush on you for Lord knows how long, your childhood sweetheart, decides that he wants to take you away from the town so that you would not be sold into slavery. The girl, Platina, of course, you know, she thinks this is a bad idea, and she goes, you know, like, I I should just accept that this is my fate. And the boy Lucian says, well, no, we need to run away. We, I don't want anything to happen to you. I don't want you to become a slave. And as the story goes on, he, you know, they travel together, and she's completely just enamored with him. She follows along regardless, and they end up in a meadow. And it just so happens that the meadow is poisonous. And Platina, unfortunately, dies, like, at the rest point. Just as he thought that they were home free, you know, she stops for a minute and, you know, she just says to him, she goes, I, I can't go on. And he goes, why? And she goes, I'm just so tired. And at that moment, like, the poison takes her in and she dies. So as the game progresses, you wake up, you're in Valhalla, and it turns out you've been summoned by Odin to be the Valkyrie. And that's kind of where the game begins. You're told by Odin that you need to collect souls for an invading army, and pretty because much... Ragnarok is coming. Ragnarok is coming, that's right. And uh, Odin says, I need souls. Harvest me some souls. And Lenneth, you know, being the Valkyrie, goes, okay! Because she doesn't know any better. She's kind of brainwashed. <laughs> so her logic is, my duty is, I must collect souls for Odin, and I must, you know, do my job. What players come to realize, of course, is that she is Latina. From the uh, from the prologue, so she's completely lost all of her memories, and the whole point of this game, in a lot of ways, is not only collecting the souls of people who have really horrific deaths, but you're trying to recover the memories of uh, Leneth before the incident. And yes. what happens? Uh, oh, go ahead, James. 
yeah, I wanted to touch on that uh, horrific deaths because since you have to collect souls, everyone you collect has just died and you get to see the people at the moment of their deaths, which makes this a lot more morbid than most RPGs you play. Since nobody yeah. you're technically playing as is alive, except maybe Leneth, but that's... Debatable. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of debatable. I mean, she's a goddess, so it's... I don't know, it's hard to say, because if you think about it, if she's Platina, she's dead. If she's Leneth, she's a goddess. Which kind of means she's dead, I don't know, but... The, the, the best part yeah. about... about... Go ahead. <laughs> the best... The best part about Valkyrie Profile really is its story. Um, I mean, the main plot sets out this really big goal in terms of piecing Lenin's memory and, you know, recruiting these characters who are done in the style of vignettes. And like, you know, Mike said, you're watching them at their most horrific moment. You're watching them die. And some of these people that Lenin encounters have some of the most horrific stories uh, one character, for example, uh, Llewellyn, he's an archer and he's drafted into uh, the ongoing war in Midgar. And he just proposed to his childhood sweetheart, uh, Milia. And he says to Milia, you know, like, I'm going to return for you. I, I will come back. And she makes a comment about, well, you know, they've put you on a naval ship that's, you know, you can't swim. And he says, well, this is unfortunately what I have to do. I don't want to leave you, but I don't have a choice. I'm being told I have to do this. So he leaves her, and what ends up happening is you hear in the background the noises of water. And then it pans back to a scene where Milia's standing in a forest, and she's waiting for uh, Llewellyn to come home. And what makes this scene really horrific is the fact that when the wind blows in the background, Milia starts screaming and sobbing, and she's saying, like, I can hear him. I can hear him. And it foreshadows the fact that Llewellyn drowned at sea. <laughs> so his body never comes back. But she knows, just from the howling of the wind, that he, he's, he's gone. He's not coming back to marry her. So when you have scenes like that, like, they're really touching, but it's really terrifying, just kind of what the game tends to foreshadow with certain characters. Um, Since we used him in the skit, we should mention how Janice got to be dead. Oh, Janice has a really horrendous death. Janice, do you want to talk about Janice, or would you like me to do it? Well, I can, I can start you. He, he was a, he was either the prince or just really high up in a country doing lots of covert ops. And once upon a time, one of those covert ops went really, really bad. So he took the blame for all of it, meaning that everyone in the country hated him for a decade until the royal family died. He came back. Everyone still hated him. And he picked up some instructions that were being sent around his hometown that I can't remember the details of them. But it was the kind of thing only someone who actually respects and loves his homeland would do. But never mind assassins come along and kill him anyway because they actually wanted to take over the country now that there's a power void at the top and his death is completely unmourned by everyone because the entire populace of the nation thinks that he was responsible for the failure of that mission a decade ago except for one little kid who comes out and looks at his body for a little while before we pan up to see Leneth take him away. Uh, Janice is sort of uh, sad just because of the fact that Everything he did, he did for his father. He wanted his father's approval. He wanted his father's respect. 
So he was doing supposedly these really dirty things just to get that approval. And he says in, in his death sequence that, you know, he didn't understand why everybody hated him. He was just doing his job. He was just looking for that approval. And, you know, Lenneth says, you know, regardless of your honor and your duty, what you still did was wrong. And, uh, like Janice, Janice is a character that because nobody mourns him, it's a really depressing scene. It's like, oh, Janice, I just want to give you a hug, because <laughs> you know, here's this guy who's pretty much giving up everything because you know he thinks it's his job. So he has a pretty bad death. Who what are some other? About the first two, Ein Harrier who join you, Arngrim and oh, Jolanda. Yes, Arngrim and Jolanda have a very uh, a messed up relationship. <laughs> Arngrim Arngrim was a paid oh. mercenary for her father. Yes, Arngrim has this wonderful line he says when he's being praised for all the people he killed as a mercenary to the court. That line is, I thank you from the bottom of the gaping void in my soul. Yep. Arngrim cares about nobody but Arngrim. Except his and, brother. Except for his brother, but... That's a more complicated relationship when we get to that particular character. Um, well, you mean Roland, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The Roland is the only – yeah. Ro- Roland, his brother, is crippled, and all the money that Armgrim makes from being a hired hand goes to his brother because he, he wants to see his brother walk again, and he, and he can't. Um, as it progresses, I mean, he takes on a job to take some cargo – However, just before this incident happens, he runs into a young woman who happens to be the princess, Princess Jolanda. Now, Princess Jolanda... Who took his insulting of her father in front of the entire court badly. Oh, yeah. She threw the biggest, you know, hissy fit ever. Because as far as she's convinced, you know, he's disrespecting her father. And like any loving daughter... You know, if you look at your father being attacked, you're you're going to take it pretty damn badly. In Jolanda's case, though, she was looking for a way to humiliate Arngrim. And she doesn't really do a very good job of it. I mean, she tries to take him out and give him a job, but doesn't realize, like, there, there's more to what Arngrim does. She just thinks, oh, I'll hire this guy and I'll try to get him, you know, possibly killed in the process. And that's my revenge on him for, you know, attacking my father. But as it goes on, you know, a lot of really bad she things the happen. the hard way that bad people are operating in her kingdom and that the princess of the kingdom being out and about is a signal for them to be really, really bad. Yeah. And unfortunately, she gets kidnapped, am I right? She's in, yeah, she's she, in the box. She is, she is in the cargo that Arngrim and... Uh, Lawfer. Oh, no, Badratch, sorry. Yes, Arngrim and Badrat, who will not be who will not be dying for a few chapters, so you can see him get an even more ignominious end later. Uh, yes, they did not know that their cargo was alive until circumstances compelled them to look inside. Yeah, pretty and much. Neither, neither she nor Arngrim survived the ordeal. Yeah. So, you know, they're the first unharrier that you get. And, I mean, the funny thing is, is that Jolanda's actually a pretty powerful mage at the beginning of a game. Like, she's actually one worth keeping around for a while. But Arngrim, funny enough, is a character you can't actually send to Valhalla. And that's just because the gods see his um, 
merciless attitude as problematic. He has no sense of honor. So the gods don't want him just because of that. Who else has some really horrific deaths that are worth mentioning? Uh, well, we can't really talk about Lorenta without talking about Lazard, but let's talk about Lorenta anyway. How about you talk about Lorenta? Because I will gladly talk okay. about Lazard. <laughs> All right. Lorenta is the head of a magic school. I, I don't remember the location right now. Sam will probably remember. But she's all of 36. Oh, wow. She's horribly old, at least according to Lazard. And for that reason, he kidnaps her husband as bait for Leneth to come in and see him and kills her husband and then kills Lorenta, all the while saying that she's an old hag who, whose time has passed. And I got to say, if he thinks 36 is old, then he must not think Angelina Jolie or Gwyneth Paltrow or Sigourney Weaver or numerous other actresses are at all attractive because they're all older than that now. And poor Lorenta, she did nothing wrong. She was a good head of the magic school. Everybody liked her, but because Lazard needed bait for the Valkyrie to come, he killed her. And she makes a good mage for you, but her story is really pretty grim, just like a lot of these stories. Ringing any bells, Roy? Oh, yeah. Lazard's one of my favorite characters in the game. Lazard is a lot more complicated than just a nine Harriar, so we're going to have to talk about him. Lazard is the the mad scientist necromancer that uh, wants to um, create... um, He wants to attain godhood, and he's using experiments with homoculus to do it. And he also has the noble, noble goal of... uh, Boning a god. That's essentially his noble goal. Yep. That's all he wants. He just wants to bone Leneth and, you know, pray that this is his way to godhood. Um, I mean, he says really disgusting things in the game, like, I yearn for passion for you, and Leneth is just kind of like, ew. <laughs> Which, I love Lizard. Lizard is probably one of the most malicious villains you'll see in, in this series. And I say series because when we get to Valkyrie Profile 2, he's a lot more important. In this game, he's not so much – he's a villain, but by comparison to what he does in Valkyrie Profile 2, um, this is peanuts compared to what he does in that. Yeah, and after all, he does help in the A ending, so – Yeah. Let's see. Aside from Lazard, who we can talk about at length, um, um, I talked about Laurenta, Llewellyn. You might as well talk about Misty. If you're going to oh, talk Mistina, about that trio yeah. of characters, with Mistina being the top of her class, but being also a grade A bitch. bitch. Yes. Lorenta hates Mistina because Mistina had a problem of being very vain and very ignorant. She didn't care what other people thought of her. She just wanted to be the best at everything. She also, you know, had a problem with Lazard because Lazard was always trying to get into her pants and she was always kind of like, "Uh, you're grody, I'm not going near you." So, the Mistina, the way that Mistina dies is that she's punished for her vanity. Yeah, because Lazard she- sees her as a as an actual threat. So, while she's doing astral walking, uh, he forcibly severs the connection between her spirit and her body, thus causing death. Yep. So and this was after they had had a long conversation together where they pretty much proved that they're on the same level, magically, magical ability speaking. Yeah, and Mistina is, again, one of the 
other characters you cannot send to Valhalla. Because in her case, the issue is that she is very vain. Gods don't like vanity. So a character like Mistina, who has to be the best at everything, is not something they want. So you can try to send her all you want, but the game's going to tell you, uh, no, she's a bitch. I don't want her. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's another oh, character I... Here's, here's one that I used a lot because I found him fairly good. Jun. Oh, Jun. Jun, he's an interesting character. Tell us about Jun. He's one yeah. I actually didn't use, so... He does everything for his sister trying to make trying to cure her blindness. Unfortunately, in his effort to do so, and in his own metaphorical blindness, he kills an ogre with a certain consequence. If you kill that ogre, you become the ogre, because it means you were unable to agree to the ogre's terms. Thus, he becomes a blood-seeking ogre until... I can't remember exactly how he was removed from that status, but... It led to his death shortly after, and Leneth took him from there. Because in his narrow-minded focus to save his sister from being blind, he ignored everything else, such as becoming an ogre, which he physically became eventually, but had been in actuality, indeed, for quite a while. Though we didn't see much of that. If I'm trying to remember correctly, it's his sister, Shiho? Or no, I'm thinking of somebody she else. Is, she is a songstress who is helping an army in battle until something goes wrong and she is captured by the enemy that she, through her songstress efforts, had been driving yeah. and promptly executed because she's just too dangerous to let live. Yeah, and she's murdered by Suho. Correct. Who will die in the next chapter because killing her sets off a crisis of conscience in him. And eventually, a meek civilian who he should have had no problem killing whatsoever will get the better hand because he's he hesitates he's, too. Yeah, he hesitates to a point where he cripples himself mentally. And even he says to Lennon, he goes, I should have been able to slice him without any effort involved. And she just says, you know, very bluntly, you hesitated. And, you know, his guilty conscience got the better of him because, you know, as far as he was convinced, she was the enemy. But she was a young girl, a very innocent young girl. And that's that's where his conscience got the better of him. Yep. So, I mean, I didn't use him a lot, but I, I found his story kind of uh, really sad. Just because it didn't seem like he was a bad guy. And you could tell that he was like, he's he's such an alert person that something like this shouldn't have thrown him off and it did. Yeah, and this has happened to real people, people who just can't take the bloodshed anymore and uh, burn out either by being killed or by leaving the battle for Yeah. There's one other character I want to touch upon before we get to – there's a really important character we need to talk about. But I want to talk about one more of the uh, – on Harry Arrow that I found really interesting. That was Jail. Like, Jail was a character I used a lot. She's powerful. She's quick. The problem is that Jail is a woman. And in Jail's situation, she wants to join the Knight's Guard, and she has to pose as a man to do it. So we have, you know, the reversal role, role reversal for gender. But the problem with Jail is that she also starts falling in love with the Guard Captain. And she actually has to confess to the Guard Captain that, you know, she's not what she seems. Um, 
I don't remember what her real name is, and that's going to bother me now for the rest of the night. But, um, you know, he says to her, like, she says to him, like, you know, I'm in love with you. <laughs> it's like, I'm in love with you, but I can't, um, you know, I can't be with you because if people find out, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me for defying the law because the law states that only, you know, men can go into the army and they can be a part of the military. And any woman who poses in that situation, you know, is condemned to die for breaking the law. And Jail gets herself into a into a pretty nasty situation. I'm not mistaken, isn't she swarmed to death, James? I'm trying to remember. She has, I know hers is okay. pretty horrific. Okay. They, she and her night captain and several others were fighting a mage, and the mage used some spell that crippled all male warriors and it did nothing to her so she was suddenly singled out and promptly killed because she was unable to carry the battle by herself yeah so i i liked her story quite a bit just for the the gender issue that it uh that it brings up so the one character i really do want to get to just to keep this conversation going because he is probably the most important to the story lucian it is lucian Lucian, as we saw in the beginning of the prologue, is Platina's sweetheart. And Lucian ends up, you know, joining a life of thievery. You know, he steals from people. He, you know, takes upon petty work. But you can tell by the character that he's not completely over the death of Platina. So in one scene, you fly down into, a, I believe it's Jerelium, and... Lucian catches Leneth on the street in, in the peasant clothes, and he says, you know, you look familiar. Um, you look like my my dead girlfriend. And Leneth doesn't say anything. She sort of just kind of looks at him like, what are you talking you, about? You, okay. you stupid mortal. Why are you saying stupid things to a god like me? Yeah, pretty much. So as it goes on, you know, Lucian ends up in a situation where he's trying to protect some, I believe, some children. And um, the girl who – there's this girl in his troop who is madly in love with him, and she says, like, like Lucian, we need to get out of here. Wasn't her um, name Claire? I think Claire. her name was Claire. Yeah. Claire. And uh, he says to Claire, like, I can't go. Like, I, I can't leave people behind. I can't, you know, stop what I'm feeling. And, of course, she's upset because she can tell that he's not over his dead girlfriend. And, you know, she tries to get him to leave, and he just – he refuses. To a point where he puts himself in a situation where he tries to save, I believe it's a child, and uh, he dies for it. And he's taken by the Valkyrie. And of course, when he's taken by the Valkyrie, he once again pulls the, I'm pretty sure I know you from somewhere. Like, you look just like her. And and Lennis says, how can somebody look like a god? And of course, poor Lucian's still sitting there, kind of dumbfounded, going like, why is this woman brushing me off? Like, damn it, let me talk. (laughs) So yeah, and, if and you have to send him to Valhalla anyway, or else you can't get the A ending. Yeah. And he has probably the most touching scene when you do send him. So what happens is when you send, try to send Lucian to Valhalla, you get this special scene where he's talking to the Valkyrie, and he explains the story of how he tried to save Platina. And, you know, he he explains to her, he takes her actually through the entire emotions of what happened. He takes her back to the town that they start out in. You know, he shows her around the town and says, like, this is where you, like, she used to live. You know, we talk until, you know, nights, the lights would go out. And then he takes her through to the, the, um, the weeping lily meadow where Platina died. 
And the one thing he says, and this is probably why I'm, I'm such a fangirl for Lucian. He says, take <laughs> off your helmet. And Lanneth goes, why? And he goes, just take off your helmet. And he says to her, he goes, you know, you look just like her. He goes down from every detail. And he sort of confesses to her in a weird way that even though it, he, she looks like his dead girlfriend, he's kind of in love with her. And Lanneth, just being impulsive, she kisses him in that scene. And it's really beautifully done because it's it's sort of that impulsive moment where she's she's figuring out that this is a part of her memory that's missing. Lucian bringing back all this this information, something just clicks with her. And uh, this is the beginning of where you see her humanity coming back to her. And the moment that she kisses him, she figures it out that, oh my God, yeah, there's something not quite right with me. And then as the game goes on, more information becomes readily available through Lucian. She starts to realize that Lucian was right. And it becomes almost her goal to save Lucian, which is kind of different for a game. Usually it's the guy saving the girl. And then in this case, it's the girl saving the guy because yeah, Lucian's because the only the person with that info. Of, the guy ran afoul of Loki, which is not really something you can easily overcome. Yeah. But we'll get guy. to that a little later. Cause there are a couple of other people who I remembered like Yumi, or Yumi, oh, Yumi. who Yumi. I used as my mage for the end of the game because she's really, really good. And her story is she's a mermaid, or a half-mermaid, I think. Her dad was human. Her mother was a mermaid. And she is trying to figure out a way to posthumously make her mother happy by talking to her father, only her father is dead. And her efforts to do so are failures. And thus, without any, without any purpose left in her life, because she had no meaning aside from making her parents happy for her, for what they did for her, she dies. I can't remember exactly how she died, but it was one of those situations where she pretty much gave up on life. Yeah. It was sad probably because uh, Fuyuki, the the boy that she sort of uh, impulsively meets on the day she's searching for her father, you know, he's, he falls in love with her and she yes. says sort of like, you can't be in love with a mermaid. Like as much as, I appreciate your love for me. It's it's simply not possible. I can't do this. Of course, referencing the fact that her father was human and her mother was a mermaid. Like she's trying to explain them that it just is impossible. They can't coexist together. Um, and it's really sad because like Fuyuki, he, he takes it so horribly because he's thinking, you know, like I really love this girl and I don't care about her secret. He's like, I don't care. I love her for her. And she's trying to explain to him that it's just not possible. And that's why she gives up because she knows she can't truly have what she wants. So it's, it's really sad. And what I kind of love about that story is when they bring up the, the myth about Lapis, is it Lapis Lazuri? Yeah. That's she it. talks. Yeah. About how there's a, a romantic element to it. And it's just very sweetly done. Like you feel so sorry for Fuyuki just because he, you know, he lives a really boring life. He's a fisherman's son. You know, his expectation is to catch fish, and he accidentally catches a really big fish. <laughs> he catches a mermaid. <laughs> I know it's supposed to be a playoff of, like, a uh, a Japanese folktale. Yeah, because yeah. she has the ability to be in human form unless she gets wet or something. I think it's, like, splashed yeah. that way, but I don't really know. That's actually exactly what it is. The okay. moment that she gets wet, 
it's like oop tail. <laughs> so she she's really sweet, like a very she's a very naive character, but her death is just simply she gives up on life because she knows she can't truly have what she wants. And um I mean there's a few characters where that is completely the case where a lot of them give up on life. Um, one of the second characters you get in the game, I believe his name is Benolus. You know, he falls in love with a slave. He's a rich man who bought a slave from the uh, the slave auction, and yes, she yes, happens to be she happens to be of a descent that makes it illegal for them to marry. Like she's a part of the um, the Asian nation in Valkyrie profile. I don't remember what they call them, but. Yamato? Is that it? The Yamato. The Yamato people. And uh, he said, like, he tells her, he goes, you know, we, we can't do this. It's like, I am completely in love with you, and I want to set you free, but I can't. And just the way that he treats her, it's it's very sweet and very touching. Like, you can tell that he, he genuinely loves her, but due to the law, he's he's bound to keep her like a caged bird. And in his last act, he ends up switching, like, she's killed by a demon, in her sleep. And of course, you know, he's looking at it from the perspective of, oh, oh my God, my true love's been killed. And he makes a deal with the Valkyrie because the Valkyrie was going to take her. And he says like, no, you can't, you can't take her. She's so young, you know, let me trade places with her. And uh, that's what ends up happening. He switches bodies with her and he's ultimately the one taken by the Valkyrie. So there's a lot of romantic deaths in this game where people are are constantly giving themselves up for people they love. Very, they're and they're very selfless deaths, which is part of why I I kind of like them. One death Except, I don't remember how Aelia died, but I used her a lot because I found her. To be- she's executed. Yeah, that's an off-screen execution because remember she's a part of the dragon race. She has the ability to turn into a dragon, and people thought that that was, you know, kind of freaky. So why would you keep someone who you think is hazardous <laughs> to your war alive? It was easier to just kill her. That way, you know, she yeah. couldn't manifest into the dragon form. So she's, she's executed by, uh, I believe it's Gondar, who, if you play hard mode, you know... Well, it doesn't have to be hard mode. Gondar shows up in the... The, the palace of the venerated dragon in chapter eight, and you get him either way. Okay, Freya so I, um, and, uh, makes you take him. Oh yes, because nobody wants him. <laughs> nobody wants Gundar. He's kind of a jerk. Yeah, I there's a couple it. It people. Chapter eight and I'd already had my team set. Yeah, there's but, a couple uh, people who have some uh, who have some very selfish deaths. Badrack. Badrack. Yes. Yeah. He is a horrible death, but he deserves his death. The, there's yes, I love it. I love him talking to to Leneth when he's dead and trying to and they're both trying to figure out have you what ever you do? done anything that would make you worthy of another chance? Uh, uh, well, I, I once I once stole a whole lot of money from some people. Oh wait, no, that's not it. Um, huh? I killed some children. Oh, wait, that's that's not it. Uh, <laughs> he I, brings up the cargo. <laughs> that was my favorite. He brings up the cargo incident, which Leneth was there for. <laughs> Like, uh, I, I would get drunk seven di- nights a week. Uh, wait, that's not it. <laughs> like, and he then he really finally comes up with. Yeah, he has. He eventually comes up with an instance where just just to shut her up, he found a young girl and escorted her to uh, a monastery in some town. And he had to really dig for that because that's the sort of thing that does not stick in his mind. 
Yeah, no, doing doing something good for humanity is not exactly on this man's agenda. I mean, uh, he has no kind bone in his body, and that's kind of what makes his plot a little interesting, is because Leneth kind of forces him to figure out, <laughs> did he do any good in his life? He's just, he outright admits, like, no. And she's like, uh, if you want to survive and you want me to take you, you need to kind of give me a better answer than no. And he's like, okay, 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 rationale, rationale, rationale. And she's just like, I'm waiting. Like, you gotta love Leneth just for, like, the odd comedic moment that appears in this game because she's just so deadpan about a lot of it. It's like, you're being dumb. You need to give me an answer. And he's he's one of the few comedic characters in the game. Yeah, he but, was pretty funny. I quite enjoyed him. It's just, it's like, there's no redeeming bone in his body until he kind of says, I helped a little girl. Does that count? <laughs> and I guess at that point, Lothus is like, I just want to shut this guy up. I'll take him. Maybe I can like sell him to uh, Freya. See how that goes. And at that point, I mean, he's useful enough that you can just send him to Valhalla and he could stand a chance at not dying. There's also you know, um, get into making people useful a little bit because there's a lot to talk about with the gameplay aspects too. But I wanted to touch on the trio of people who sort of knew Arngrim and all oh, end up into Lawfer, Lawfer, Cashel, and eventually Gray. Yes, yes. And Gray, and I just to that extent, uh, Lyceria, by the way, who is Gray's lover. Yeah, which you didn't get because she's hard mode it's only. Hard mode, yeah. But I I remember Gray's seen best because uh, Celia comes along and she was a compatriot of Arngrim, Lawfer, Keshel, and Grey. And, and, she, and she's supposed to kill him because uh, well, he, I can't even remember what he did, but she decides not to because then she'd truly be all alone. All of her friends would be dead. She'd have nothing left in the world. And he dies anyway. And her last, the last thing you ever see of, of Celia is her sobbing over the floor because now she ha- truly has no one left in the world. Even though all the people she was with were not exactly uh, positive people to be around. I mean, she was treated like dirt by her companions because she was the youngest, and therefore they considered her also the weakest. I mean, she was picked on by Cashel to a point where she she would try to fight back. He's just like, you're just a little girl. Like, what are you going to do to me? And she would try so hard to tell him, like, no, I can do this. I can be the, the strong one in this. And Cashel, being a dumbass, is like, nope, I can do it. And Cashel actually gets – he gets punished for his arrogance. And Celia, in her own little way, when she's sobbing over his death, she just says, you know, this is your own fault. And she even tells him, like, to his corpse, this was your fault because you got cocky. And this is what happens to cocky people, sloppy deaths. And you know, yeah, Leneth... he was killed by uh, the basilisk, wasn't he? Yes, he was. That actually slaughtered an entire town right before they got there. Yeah, they weren't exactly quick on the ball there. <laughs> and Always fun, La... death by giant snake. And I guess it's just we'll throw Lawfer in there just because he's kind of interesting. He's sort of this little pansy spearman who. He has no confidence. This is part of his issue, is that he's got zero confidence, and he looks at Arngrim and says, you know, how are you able to murder people without any sense of humanity within you? And, you know, Arngrim just says, it's a part of pushing away emotion. He says, do you simply want to be a blade of, gra- a blade of grass floating on the wind? He's like, do you want to not be remembered? And uh, Lawfer, you know, of course, struggling with his own confidence issues, 
you know, he takes that information and pretty much just says like, you know, I need to do something. I need to be memorable. I need to be recognizable. And his death is just sort of sad. <laughs> I'm trying to remember how it goes, but it was it was something that was pretty gruesome. I do, do can't remember. remember. No, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. He just has a really gruesome death. Like, but the whole point of his death is that this was his triumphant moment to kind of be remembered. But just because he was so haunted by Arngrim's words, like, are you a blade of grass floating on the wind? He goes, is that how you want to be remembered? And, you know, Lawford's like, no, I, I don't want to be remembered that way. So just the internal struggle for Lawford's just kind of intriguing because there's not much... He, there's not much to him. He's just this weak guy trying to poses someone stronger than he actually is, and he pays the price for it. Shall we talk about the gameplay? <laughs> uh, well, there's one other character, N- Nanami. Oh, she... you want to talk about Nanami? Well, She's we crazy. talked about everybody else. Why not talk her? Yeah, that's true. Let's, okay, let's Nanami. Inclusive. Okay. You talk about Nanami, because I don't actually really remember her death. And then she's well, a she, was, she was a shrine maiden who managed to sacrifice herself in order to let another girl live. And yeah, I'm trying to remember her too, because I didn't use her much. And that always helps cement characters in my mind, but there are enough characters in the game that if you try and use everybody, you're going to have an interesting time. Uh, you will fail quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's not the point of how this game works in terms of its mechanics. But, but yeah, okay. Roy, do you remember Danami? No, I don't really remember her that well. Okay. Okay, um, and well, okay. Sam has to duck out for a second, so I guess I get to talk about Freya, since Freya is a goddess who assists you in the very beginning of the game and effortlessly destroys every enemy she attacks with one hit. But. Her main role is to stay in Valhalla and apprise you of how your Angheria are doing in their preparations for Ragnarok. And also pan down a lot of items if you've been sending her really good Angheria who didn't die up in Valhalla. And yeah, as long as we're talking, starting to get into the mechanics, you're supposed to send Angheria to assist Odin and the other gods of Asgard. And if you do that right, if you send people who meet the qualifications Freya sends down to you, then you will get lots of good items between the chapters. And Okay, Roy, you, you probably remember how the period system works and the chapters, right? Yeah, um, there was uh, the one thing that is uh, probably um, someone probably could label this as a detraction for the game, but... Um, if you really want the uh, the best endings and whatnot and the best items, like you mentioned, is it, it's really good to look up an FAQ to see which Einherjar you should send to Valhalla. And which well, one the list doesn't really... Uh, four. Yeah, the problem with the uh, A ending is that the facts won't tell you which characters to send, with the exception of one. It specifically tells you to send Lucien and uh, Lorenta. Just because I didn't, see, I didn't see that Lorenta had to be sent. No, well, you don't have to. It's just by that point, most people will send Lorenta because they are either using Yumi or Nanami. Um, most I, I know from all my playthroughs, I sent Lorenta as soon as I got her. 
And it's not just because like she's a bad major or anything. It's just at that point it was easier to tank the seal rating. You know, you you send it up, or sorry, you get her the seal rating tanks, and then when the game tells you you need to send somebody up to slightly boost it, I usually just send her. <laughs> but no, you have to send Lucian. Lucian is the big one. You must send him, or else the A ending cannot be completed. And you have to witness certain key events. One being Lucian, Lucian being sent and taken to the Sleepy Meadow, going to the meadow and and revisit, revisiting your soul. And I you think- also have to go meet Brahms. Yes, you have to meet Brahms, and oh, the options is... I did not try to fight him. Yeah, the options are you fight him, or you don't, and the part of the problem with this fight is that if you choose to fight him, um, you're immediately put at a disadvantage. Um, Now, I don't remember if fighting him ups your seal rating or downs it. I know not fighting him tanks it. I checked. There's there's no difference. All you have to do is... There's no difference. Okay. Apparently, if he beats you, it doesn't matter either. Oh, good. Okay, so yeah, that that's not a big deal. You don't fight him, seal writing tanks. The whole point is you want Lenneth to be a bad Valkyrie. The and bad you, also Valkyrie. Have to meet, you also have to meet Mr. Lazard Valeth in Chapter 4. Yeah, and if you exit his tower, goodbye true ending. <laughs> you cannot exit his tower. The moment you are in there, you have to complete it. Because if you go back into the tower, uh, Lazard's not there anymore. That was something I found out the hard way, was that I went back into the tower and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go fight Lazard, and uh, he never appeared. So, you know, you only have that one brief moment where you have to defeat him or else, again, that's kissing your chances goodbye of the true ending. Which, that's when I learned, just go buy lots of union plumes and pray to God. A lot. And the side part is, he's not even a hard fight. Yeah, he... he, He's easy. Self is easy. Just take him out first, because otherwise his stupid dragon zombie things will up his stats enormously when they die. Yeah. Um, but yeah, aside from chapter four, where you have a whole lot of stuff you need to do in a hurry, I, w- I didn't feel hurried as the game went along. No. Sam, explain how the pacing works. We haven't gotten to the nitty gritty. Okay, so part of the charm of Valkyrie Profile comes from the fact that everything is done in periods. Every time you go into a town, that takes up a certain number of periods. Every time you go into a dungeon, that takes up a certain number of periods. You only have a select number of periods before uh, Freya checks in and says, you know, have you sent me souls? Have you done this? Pretty much Freya's got a checklist of everything she expects. So whenever a period ends, she gives you expectations for what she wants in an unharrier for the next chapter. You don't have to follow her guidelines but following her guidelines does net you some bonuses, so sometimes it's worth doing. Um, like, for an example, when she asks for an archer, um, your options are pretty much you give her, at the time that she asks, you either get Janice or Llewellyn. Now, I like Janice, because Janice is freaking hardcore. Um, so I said Llewellyn, and she was Llewellyn, mad. Uh, hero rating up to the necessary level can be difficult, because it won't naturally pussy. rise very high. <laughs> No. Part of the problem is that Llewellyn is piss-weak to begin with, and part of his issue is that because of his self-confidence issues, his traits are all uh, they're all pretty negative. <laughs> like, my favorite is it, he's the only character that has can't swim as a trait. So that should tell you instantly that's how he died. <laughs> right? And you cannot raise can't swim, which makes it even kind of more ironic. It's like, oh, he died because he drowned. Oh, I can't actually raise that stat. 
WoW game. That's just mean. <laughs> Whereas, you know, Janus has a lot better traits, and, you know, for what it's worth, you'd get a better bonus if you send Janus. But if you're like me and you love Janus, you're going to send the pansy maid, uh, the pansy archer, and, you know, Freya's going to throw a shit fit at you because it's like, oh, you sent me the wuss. I didn't want him. And it's like, sorry, I want to keep Janus. <laughs> But sending Janice, like I said, it's a good bonus during that particular point in the game. It's just like when she says, I want a powerful mage. Well, <laughs> when you get a powerful mage, your options at that point are Yumi, Yumi Nanami, Shiho, and uh, Lorenta. And if you sent Lorenta early, you get the bonus just because Lorenta, is, at, at that point, is the character who fits the bill for Freya's uh, requirement. So yeah, as the can't swim, that takes us into the traits. Uh, yeah. You get the points for those by leveling up. Fortunately, every character I ever got at least had a few points to attribute to distribute at the beginning yeah. of his life. And for every character but Valkyrie, you can either choose to raise their hero rating by doing things like uh, upping the love's dad or downing the selfish trait. There are a lot of different traits, and some of them don't even make sense. I've never heard of... Um, you mentioned can't swim. I'm going to pick up... Didn't somebody have Fussy Eater or something like that as a bad yeah. trait? Jolanda. <laughs> which makes sense because, you know, Jolanda yeah. has her moment where she gets sick in the restaurant, which was really funny. <laughs> but, but the other use for those points is to buff up your skills, like the one that automatically increases your hit points, the one that automatically increases all of your stats, the one that buffs up your intelligence, great for mages. Or your reaction abilities, like you need to put some skill points in if you want to be able to counterattack the enemies. My and personal favorite is Guts, which allows you to resurrect yourself before death. We, let us discuss Guts when we get to the very end of the game and its purpose becomes mandatory. Um, yeah. In the meantime, hey Roy. Hmm. You remember the combat system itself, right? Yeah, it was a it was a basic uh, turn based combat system. Mm, I disagree. It's a button masher. <laughs> yeah, if you want to string your combos together, buttons. you have to mash your buttons quickly, or else the opportunity goes away. Yeah. So simple turn based, it is not button mashy. It is the only way yeah. to get the combos was to button mash. Because Especially certain- if you want to get lots of crystals, which up your take of experience from the battle, which requires that you usually smack the enemy while it's in the air. And the only way to do that is to have everybody attack in a big gang rush. Pretty much. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a button mash where you had, to, you had to juggle the enemies. Yeah. You wanted to keep the juggle high so that way your overkill would go up. If you were successful to get the overkill bar at the end of its phase, you could do overkill attacks, which are called um, Petrified Weird Souls. <laughs> um, which I never understood kind of why it was called that, but whatever. Because um, nobody's so pretty... ever used the abbreviation PWS before? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so using the Petrified Weird Souls grants the characters like one epically huge special move that will in turn hopefully launch for the next character. So the idea is you want to chain these together. So it's critical to think how you wanted to chain these abilities together. So for an example, you wouldn't use the mage's ability first because most of the time it wouldn't fill the gauge up completely to have it so that a second character could go. However, if you had a character like Arngrim, Arngrim's petrified weird soul always would fill the Finishing strike! Final blast! Blast. There's only 
two characters that actually will automatically fill up the gauge, which is Arngrim and Janice. Janice's guilty break will fill the bar up automatically. That's partially why I kept him around. Using him and Arngrim to chain made it easier for characters like Valkyrie or if I used a mage um, to keep the chain. Funny enough, I didn't really use mages when I played the games, uh, and except for the time when I got Lizard, which made me super happy. But my, my parties were almost always Aelia, um, Janus, Arngrim, and Valkyrie. Just because I would purposely save Aelia's special attack for last, because hers would do massive damage, but you can't chain hers, because hers is just an ultimate blasty thing. Yeah, it so. has one hit, and it does, it'll raise the gauge a little bit, but not enough for anybody to jump Oops. off of it. So that's where the strategy kind of really plays a, a big, you know, plus, it's very plus big. Plus, launching the PWSs into each other is timed. If you don't do it within a couple of seconds, then the opportunity goes away. Yeah. So you have to really constantly be paying attention when uh, the PWS is currently on. So having characters that can change... I found with a couple of really good spells to be awesome for just killing enemies in one shot. If you know the weakness of, say, those horrible orbs that self-destruct in Lazard's Tower, which happens to be darkness. If you are strong enough to throw a darkness spell at them first, they'll all die. Yeah. And won't have any more problems. Yeah, so it it's important to kind of look at like the um, the the uh, what is it the um, status types for each of the character uh, for each of the enemies because that also guarantees you know an easier time if it's something that you can switch in. So if using darkness on those orbs works, I mean then you don't have to use the PWS. But I mean there's certain um, spells that just they help the gauge if you can use them. Like uh, Mystic Cross, for an example, will fill yeah. the gauge pretty quickly. Uh, Dark Savior will fill the gauge very quickly. Um, Fire Fire Lance can help fill the gauge very quickly, but not Fire Blast. Funny enough. Poison Blow does not, because it's only one hit. Poison Blow is one hit, but if you can get the uh, giant uh, magic attack for it, it's awesome. Like, not only will it poison enemies... Which is, it's guaranteed poison, so almost always it will poison the enemy. Like, it has a very high percentage rate for that. Plus, it's also multi-hit, which is kind of funny if you think that the original spell only hits once. (laughs) So, I mean, there's certain spells that make it worth uh, keeping around. But... I always I always used Mystic Cross, just because in the case of that, it was, like, guaranteed I could get my my overkills on. Yeah, the other thing. since I was poking around on a fact at the time, you know, I had to look for the ending. I happened to look upon what was recommended as an elemental weakness for enemies, and I would usually follow that because I'm like mo- I like my enemies to die quickly instead of giving me lots of trouble. Because that's one thing Valkyrie Profile does not let you do. It does not let you conveniently refill all your life instantly. No, no. Um, it makes it very... <laughs> challenging in some ways, especially because it's not like you uh, are always able to find items. I mean, part of the idea is that on the period screen, it wants you to make items yourself with points. Roy, yeah. Talk talk about the item system, which once I figured it out, I thought it was pretty fun. Oh, trying to stretch the memory here. Let's see. I do, I do remember the equipment. It's been so long since I played these games. 
That's okay. I remember the, all the getting the equipment systems from Freya from sending the the best. Yeah, MP in this game does not I mean what the, it means in the one situation where Sam was talking about of not sending Janice up there because Janice is awesome. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the thing about Freya. Freya's kind of a meanie pants, and you know, <laughs> if you actually. Because I don't think I told you this, Jooms, but uh, the bad ending in the game is Freya comes and she murderizes you. I saw you that. That's, that's the C ending, where if you manage to get the seal writing to okay, zero, now I remember. she will come and Almighty power fight you. Wikipedia helps yeah. me <laughs> these older games. Yeah, Freya okay, murderizes you. Item system. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the MP stands for materialized points. Which are used to tran- be transmuted via alchemy into item, and that yep. includes weapons. Once I figured out I could materialize weapons instead of leaving people without anything because they hadn't come with any good you weapons, can use it. You you can use it to create different items and whatnot, and sometimes you get real equipment. Though the best equipment's always get got. It's always received from Freya whenever you send us send up the Uber souls, um, or it's or, really really expensive and you can only have a couple of them. Well, there's also getting it from boss battles, but the problem in doing that is if you want to get more points, you want to send it to Odin. But there's some weapons where you kind of get them and you go, "This is not worth sending because I'm greedy and I want a better weapon." I did that on many occasions, and he got mad at me for stealing his precious weapons. <laughs> I sent most of them, but there were a couple that I kept. Um, one item that automatically generates a free thing every chapter that ups the stats of someone. Yeah. Well, I had to keep that. And they all went yeah, to Valkyrie. that's useful. It's like, that's useful. You're not getting that. Stupid Odin, you're greedy. <laughs> but um, Valkyrie Profile just had a really weird item system that, you know, I kind of wish more games had used. Because, yeah, even the weapons break. I mean... Um, it wasn't like they were difficult to replace. And in fact, they break, you get a better item anyways, half the time. So you didn't have to worry too much. I mean, that was kind of the part of it, was that you can sort of mix and match and you didn't have to worry too much about yeah, and I later noticed that weapons only break uh, after the first round of combat. So particularly with dragon slayers, if I was able to kill the dragon in the first round, breaking was not an issue. Yeah, it wasn't a big deal. It's called You Killed the Dragon. And if you don't use Dragon Slayers against the Dragon Zombies in Lazard's Tower, you're not going to get past them because they have insane resistance to everything else, I think, except one except type of the magic. Dragons, Except yeah. for, I believe, it's Light Magic. It's Light Magic and the Dragon Slayer. Those are the only two things you can do. And if you don't, it. then you will be doing zero or one damage against an enemy that has about 20,000 hit points. So I wanted to ask you something, James. You mentioned actually in your recent review that you had a bit of trouble with the platforming bits of the game. What was the dealio there? Because a lot of people right. seem to have that problem. All right. What I noticed a lot of the time is that the sword in particular is kind of touchy for using it to initiate a battle. So that sometimes I would swing the sword and just miss the enemy and then the enemy would touch me before I could swing again so that I get forced into an enemy, a battle with the enemies getting the first strike. Yeah. Uh, also, 
if it was a platforming game strictly, which it isn't, but there are platforming sections since it's all 2D, I wouldn't rank it very high because the jumping is kind of clumsy. Valkyrie either jumps straight in the air or you have to have her running in order to get her to move left and right. You have to get her to arc. That was the idea. So if if you could um if you wanted her to jump in a certain direction, you had to have her running so that she could arc and if you couldn't get that yeah. arc, guaranteed you were going to fall into something and uh there's a lot of bad moments for that where um some of the platforming, yeah, I agree. It can be a bit clumsy, especially like when you're trying to use the the material crystals to uh formulate blocks for her to climb up. Because they don't last very long, there's always the odd moment where you'll fall just because it didn't last, and you're like, well, shit, yeah. I gotta go back up again. So, like, at the very beginning of the game, there's one area where that happens, and it's just annoying when you have to climb up it. It's like, oh, God, stop this, make this nightmare end. Yeah, I noticed that most in the first area. Eventually, I got the hang of it, but if it were solely a platforming game, I wouldn't rank it very high. Yeah, no, but thank goodness the platforming picks are not exactly... uh crazy common but i mean for a 2d game like let's give it its credit it's kind of gorgeous looking <laughs> yeah this that's why i i said that the, i gave the visuals a five and i stand by that because this looks gorgeous especially compared to how badly so much playstation 1 3d has aged this is 2d and it shows how awesome 2d can look 11 years on and it'll probably still look awesome another 20 years from now well I don't know if you knew this, but the majority of the backgrounds are actually done in watercolor. I did notice that. Yeah, if you notice the effect that they kind of have, um, it's just really neat. And you don't see a lot of games using things like watercolors as a medium to uh, generate backgrounds, which was just, it was very odd, but it kind of worked really well in this case. Um, yeah, everything had a very soft look to it. Individually hand-painted. I like that. Yeah. Well, I, I just like how everything looked very soft. For a game that's about, like, very morbid, you know, issues, um, everything about it just looked had a very soft look to it. And maybe that's the game trying to show a feminine side in its visuals. I don't mm. know. But just, I, I always just love the way it looked. Everything kind of popped on the screen. And, uh, I mean, your, for two... Your thoughts on the visuals, Roy? Oh, and the the visuals for Valkyrie, I I love the visuals, particularly like the watercolor effect that Sam mentioned. And like you were saying, it it holds up really well for a two D game. Also, the portraits, the portraits are gorgeous, and everyone has more than one yeah, the, emotion. The, 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 that's one thing I love for for Valkyrie is that of, of of a lot of JRPGs I played, Valkyrie Profile, the entire series has some of the best concept art. Yeah, it's it's beyond gorgeous and I, I'm just impressed with the amount of effort that really went into the look of the game. Especially when you get to some of the other Trice titles where that effort just isn't there as much. Um, that will be I think that will come to the future uh, in the fore when we talk about this this thing called The Last Hope. Will that be coming to the fore, Sam? At some point. Okay. Star Ocean 4 is a perfect example of visuals going wrong. Like, some people will argue that 
Star Wars Four has great visuals. I'm in the camp where it was an eyesore, and I looked like I was going to vomit half the time I played the game, just for the visuals alone. But we'll get to that at some point, and this is yeah. Let's talk about what Trias did right, which Which is is this game. Which is this game, and just about everything about it. Um, Yeah, Valkyrie Profile. There were no there were no square games that had voice acting on PS One, so this immediately differentiates itself from any Square games at the time, and I thought it was mostly okay, although I I seem to differ with you in thinking Lazard's voice actor in the original Valkyrie Profile really wasn't trying very hard. He was underplaying <laughs> his part too much. Um, okay, so I guess I could kind of briefly... So the late Matty Bonstein played uh, Lazard. For those of you who don't know who Matty Bonstein is, he's a man-slash-woman transgender actor who uh, voiced Meowth in the Pokemon anime. Which, when you put Meowth to Lazard, is kind of hilarious. Okay, it's it's really freaking hilarious if you think about it because the majority of the cast of this game are the Pokemon voice actors. Every single one of them is from Pokemon, so it's fun to have giggle fits and go, hee hee hee, Valkyrie is totally voiced by Officer Jenny. <laughs> there, I said it. But Lazard, it was a weird case because... There are certain moments in the game where I think his voice acting, her voice acting, was really good. Um, it's particularly the moment where, you know, he's in the, the transmutation circle and, you know, he's talking about how he's yearning for the Valkyrie's soul because, you know, he wants to bone the god. Um, I thought that part was done really well. Um, the kind of mad scientist is, is, is kind of downplayed. Um, I mean, I can see where you're coming from with it. I, I guess I just I grew so accustomed to it that it didn't bother me as much. I, I love Lazard's laugh. I love his little cackle. Um, and unfortunately, because, you know, Maddie Bonstein unfortunately passed away, um, a new voice actor took over Lazard in the second game, which is uh, Liam O'Brien, who uh, a lot of people are probably familiar with if you watch a lot of recent anime offerings. And a lot of people like his Lazard because there's more of a a softer side to the character that he provides, which is kind of baffling considering Lazard is such a horny turd. (laughs) There's no polite way of putting it. He's a horny necromancer. Um, Lazard is my favorite villain. The voice acting... Is he a horny deophile? Is that what you'd call someone who wants to bone a god? I guess so. I guess that's probably the only way to put it. Uh, um, But Lazard's my favorite villain in in any role-playing game, and that's because Lazard... He's just very awkward. He's the socially awkward kid who, you know, you look at him in class and you're kind of like, oh, God, he's going to murder us all. <laughs> and that's part of the fun with his character is that he is socially awkward. Wait, was um, Trias paying attention to Columbine when designing Lazard? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? But with Lazard, he was just, he's such a, a very complicated character. I mean, we can joke all we want about him wanting to bone a god, but the reality is that there there really is more to it. I mean, this is a man who wants to become a god himself and is going through any means possible to get what he wants. Um, even if, if you it can become a god through elf, having sex, why not? <laughs> absolutely, right? Like, if that was the case, everybody would do it. <laughs> Like, Lazard's such a trendsetter, if you think about it. Not, <laughs> not that I want to give him that credit, because I really don't. But, I mean, the voice acting in Valkyrie Profiles, at least in the first game, is kind of bizarre in some ways, because some of it is very well done. And some of it, if you've watched the Pokemon anime, it sticks out like a sore thumb. 
Uh, for an example, the character of Jail, um, Jail's voice actress is Veronica Taylor, and she's best known for Ash Ketchum. And there are moments where she sounds like Ash Ketchum through Jail's dialogue. And it's really awkward because you're just like, oh my god, it's Ash, he's trying to catch Pikachu. God save us, right? And it's just really awkward. But one of the cases where it's not as noticeable is Megan Hollingshed, who's the voice of Valkyrie. Which, I love her as Valkyrie. Um, I love the fact that she's got that very um, stern sort of voice, but she also knows how to create the gentle side of the character. Um, The gentleness that is really, really hard to get out because she's just so stone cold. It's like Lucien will poke and prod. It's like, have emotion. And she's like, no. <laughs> but the way that the character presents it, it's just so dignified. So when she says things like, you know, come to me, dark warriors, battle awaits us, you know she means serious business. This is no joke to her. She's going to murder you, and she does not care if you stand in her way. So I, I adore her voice actors, and I was so thrilled when I played Valkyrie Profile, too, because she reprised her role as, uh, as Lenneth Valkyrie. So she was one of the definitely top-tier actors in that game, especially considering some of the voice acting at, at times was actually pretty half-hearted. Um, the other character I love who's uh, voice acting, and he does not get enough credit, is Scotty Ray, and he did the voice of Janice and Gondar. Uh, I didn't like his Gondar as much because Gondar's just kind of. I hate Gondar. He's just such a, a loony. Not much to say about him. There's not much, exactly. There's not much to say. He's kind of a, an evil dude. He doesn't care. Whatevs. Whereas. Janice, just killed him and Freya told you to take him along. Pretty much. <laughs> it's like, you have to take him. I don't want him. Too bad. <laughs> That's pretty much how the, the discussion goes down, which is kind of funny. But I loved his voice as Janice. I loved that. For my honor. Like, he just had a very uh, suave kind of voice for Janice, which I, I really liked. And there's one other character I do want to bring up, uh, which is Grey. Grey has the most hilarious voice ever. Like, icicle break! And it's just like, oh my god, this is so funny. <laughs> Don't open your mouth. <laughs> I'm going to laugh very hard. Which is funny because Grey's voice actor is also the one who plays Lucian. <laughs> and Lucian just sounds so cute and adorable, but... This is uh, Eric Stewart pretty much playing Brock from Pokemon, and it's kind of like, oh, you're just so cute. I love you. Lucien, be my boyfriend. <laughs> Don't tell Scott I said that. <laughs> but it's okay. true. No, wait, wait, was there any voice actors on there that weren't from Pokemon? Nope, all of them were. Nope. <laughs> Every single one. It was that group of people who did it. Um, when you play the second game... Everybody but uh, Lenneth is not from Pokemon, so you don't have to worry so much. There's no Pokemon voice actors with the exception of Lenneth in, uh, in Valkyrie Profile 2. And she doesn't show up until near the end anyway. Exactly. So this is more of a cameo. <laughs> Let's anything. see. We might as well go through what happens at the end of the... The first re- game. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Since it involves when Guts is going to save your butt and without it you have not a hope. Are we referring to the evils of Bloodbane? I think we are, since it took uh, me, I believe, eight tries to beat Bloodbane. Yeah, that, that was me too. Bloodbane is kind of, if you didn't get from the sketch, he is Dr. Claw. <laughs> he talks like Dr. Claw, so everything is, feel my flame, or finishing strike, <laughs> sacred job. And it's just like, oh my god, shut up, stop <laughs> killing me. The problem is that Bloodbane is this overpowered, 
douchebaggy dragon who pretty much <laughs> will not let you pass. What's kind of yes, interesting and, is that... Oh, and here's the great thing. If you don't manage to get him below a certain hit point level by the 10th round, and believe me, that's not easy, uh, he will heal himself fully. Yeah. Doesn't that, isn't that just a kick in the pants? Even better... He gets multiple actions a turn. His fire attack will... A couple of shots of that will kill everyone. Yeah. So this, this is, is where Gus comes in. This is one of those moments where you're going to be pounding the button hoping Gus just kicks in because you're going, well, shit. <laughs> Every because Guts, moment. Guts, what it does is it revives you automatically from death at you know, a single digit hit point level, but even at its best level, there's only a 60% chance or so that it will work. Yeah. So if you get really unlucky, you're dead anyway. Yeah. Most of the time though, if guts kicks in, you're lucky enough that if another character dies, you can quickly, you know, you can have auto item union plume set up because otherwise you're going to be healing all the time instead of hitting him. Yeah. And you don't want to be doing that. Now, thank goodness, if you're not going for ending A, Bloodbane is optional. You do not have to fight him if if you are doing ending B, which um, I know a few people who got that, and they were kind of PO'd, because ending B pretty much just says, you know, you're asleep, and it gives you kind of a hint to how to get the good ending. It's not a very useful hint, but you don't really get a nice, pretty scene or anything. It just says, ha-ha, you didn't get the good ending, so we're going to tease you with the screen of, haha, you didn't get the good ending. <laughs> See how mean this game is? So, ending also, A... Also, after Bloodbane, you're not done. You have to fight Fenrir, which is easy if you took out Bloodbane. Yes, and then you have to fight no Loki. Effort. Yes. Loki is a pain in the butt, mostly because he'll start spamming this attack endlessly that will take half the life of everybody every round. And... He also yeah. has a nasty, petrified, weird soul. Yeah, and a also nasty attack. for fighting him, Valkyrie, and if you have a mage, the mage will also prove useful, but anybody using physical attacks other than Valkyrie can't do jack to him. Yeah, that's part of the problem. And um, he has, I think, what was it, 400,000 hit points? Yes. Which, so you're going to be at it a while. Yeah, he's a, a long fight. He's not as torturous as Bloodbane because Bloodbane actually, yeah, has way more hit points than he did. But Bloodbane again, the gauntlet of bosses at in the final ending is just it's it can feel like a slog if you go in kind of unprepared. But if you be Bloodbane, you know what? It makes Loki look like such a pushover. <laughs> it really does. He's really annoying, but unless you get unlucky with your union plume usage, then you're not going to die to him. I yeah. didn't. I didn't. And it would have sucked massively if I had, because that was a good 15-minute plot point or so before I got to fight him. Yeah, but Lo- Loki's kind of interesting just because, you know, he has his own reasoning as to why he doesn't want the Valkyrie to kind of restore her memories you know, to him, the whole situation between the the war between the gods and the humans is just such a joke. You know, he even says, he goes, you know, humans are just so pathetic. He goes, but the gods are just as bad. Like, the gods are just so narrow-minded. And, I mean, he is the one who kidnaps Lucian. Which is why Lenneth is, you know, why she just gets so upset. Because he even says, he's like, I, I killed him. I was trying to kill him the whole time. Just to get to you. And, you know, this just peas in Lenneth's cornflakes and she just wants to murder his ass because it's like you touched my boyfriend 
you must die. And then when the good ending happens, there's like a, a happy kiss and Lenneth and Lucian are reunited and then fluffy times happen. That's why This is right after Loki used the power of the dragon orb to more or less wipe all of Asgard to bits. But because Lenneth has the power of creation in her now, she's able to rebuild everything, I think. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. She's able to restore the world. Um, yeah, and then the entire the- populace becomes her Anyaryar. <laughs> well, she restores everything to the point of order before the destruction. So she she's pretty much like, you know, the Windows backup system. <laughs> <laughs> she's the backup disk. She's the backup disk. She's she's the one who goes, okay, um, so bad stuff happened, so I'm just going to quickly do this. Yay, world's restored. It's all good. So, Lenneth, best heroine you'll ever see in an RPG Yes, that includes outside of Mitsuru, who, I mean, I totally would bone for, but Lenneth is my all-time favorite protagonist in a video game, hands down. And anyone says that just because you get emotions make you weak, you know, you really didn't understand what was going on in that game. And I, I hate that argument when people bring it up. It's like, Lenneth got emotions, and therefore she became weak. It's like, this whole game is about finding her emotions. <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> So, oh, and Sam, since we haven't touched on it, uh, what do you think of Motoi Sakuraba's music? Um, Sakuraba's music, like in most games, generally doesn't interest me. Um, he has a couple really beautiful tracks, though, in Valkyrie Profile. Uh, in particular, my favorite is the, um, the song from The Meadows. I don't, like, I'm terrible with track names, so you'll have to forgive me, but it's this very somber piece that kind of represents, you know, Lennis' life and death. Um, and I, I always love that sort of the, the song that they play whenever you pick up a soul. It's like that doo 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 doo. Um, yep. I very pretty. That. Very pretty songs. And I mean, I love the battle theme of the game just because it really does get you psyched to battle in this game. I mean, it's pretty hard not to be psyched when you're button mashing, but his music just really pumps you up. Especially like if you have remixed versions of the song, it's just, it's pretty darn cool. What was your opinion on the soundtrack, boys? Yeah, my thoughts were that it was one of Sakuraba's stronger efforts, although since I haven't played a ton of the Tales games that supposedly get really mediocre, and I like Tales of Fantasia's soundtrack anyway, I don't have the negative vibe towards Sakuraba that seems to pervade a lot of material. Well, Sakuraba just has a problem. He loves to recycle, which is, is unfortunately very prevalent in the Valkyrie Profile series. Uh, when we get okay. to Covenant of the Plume, that's a perfect example of there's subject, really no... There were a couple of tracks in Valkyrie Profile's score that reminded me of stuff he did for Shining Force 3. Yeah, like he's he has a problem of where when he finds something that works, he milks it. And, and, and again, Shining Force 3 is my favorite game ever, so I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, no, I mean, like when you play Valkyrie Profile 2 in Covenant of the Plume, like some of these... Uh, mainstay themes, they get recycled for the other games. And while it's not necessarily a bad thing, I mean, the majority of the really good tracks from the series are the ones that get, you know, recycled. But at the same time, you know, there is a desire for wanting some more original composition, which this man doesn't provide, unfortunately, especially for Valkyrie Profile 2. Um, Which I think we can move on to at some point. Yeah, have we covered pretty much everything we want to about Lenneth's story? I think so. I mean... What else is yeah, there to say about, about her? 
Yeah, about the only thing I could say for Valkyrie Profile on the music is um, I'm not very familiar with the other stuff that Sakuraba has done. I've, I've only of the games you mentioned that he he's worked on, the only other one that I have played is Tales of Fantasia. Also, the Star Ocean series and. Unfortunately, actually, the Star Ocean series is the one where um, this soundtrack and Valkyrie Profile, or Valkyrie Profile and Star Ocean, their soundtracks get compared quite a bit because there's a lot of similar instrumentation. And that's just from the fact that the two games were built around the same time, uh, particularly Star Ocean 2, which is what I'm referring to. Right. Um, there's a lot of similarities in just uh, tonation uh, instruments used, that sort of thing. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, it's just... Sakuraba is just known for milking certain types of uh, instrumentals in games. Um, oh, yeah, he also um, did Golden Sun music, which is very pretty different. Good. I'm, I'm sort of the Golden Sun he- music. I I know <laughs> that one. I actually I love the Golden Sun music, and I do like the the music in Valkyrie Profile. For the other ones, though, as far as the only Star Ocean game I've played was I played halfway through the uh, till the end of time, which I think is the third one. Yeah, it's the third yes, that's one. The one. That's the one Mr. Apps hates the guts of. There's not a lot of people who uh, will vouch for Star Ocean 3, just throwing <laughs> it out there. Uh, I'm in the camp that um, also thought Star Ocean 3 was really dumb. <laughs> I, I, I just remember, well, I picked that one up. I would think I was like, 15 or 16 when I picked that one up I had $50 and said it comes in a massive box it must be a good RPG (laughs) I still have the massive box I admit it I still have it Um, okay we're drifting into Star Ocean now that probably means which we we don't want woohoo Valkyrie Profile (laughs) 2 Samaria (laughs) finally get to say something Samaria we love you sorry alright here we go Valkyrie Profile 2, developed by Tri-Ace Tri-Crescendo, platform on the PlayStation 2, released here in North America. Do we have to do 15 seconds of silence? No. No. No, that's not another section. No, no. No, I'm not going to put all this music in between. I got time. Released on September 26, 2006, this is a single-player RPG experience, rated T for Teen. And this is one that I, I will just give my little impression of, and then I'll turn the reins back over to you guys, uh, because this is one that I went out, bought, and played. It was a Square, you know, PlayStation 2, Square Enix game. was a no-brainer for me, and I went out and bought it. And the first thing that strikes you are absolutely the visuals. In a day and age where everything is 3D, um, you know, on the PlayStation 2 and whatnot, uh, and I... You know, the graphics on Valkyrie Profile, I love them. I think there were some 3D character sprays. Or whatever. I don't know, but it was gorgeous. It's, it's uh, VP2's all 3D, so you don't have to worry too much there. But, but you wouldn't know it because it's stuck in that side-scrolling mode until you get into combat. Yeah. And it looks it, it looks as beautiful as some of the most hand-painted 2D graphics uh, that you can get on the PlayStation yeah. t- uh, 2. It was just absolutely gorgeous. The character models look great. The backgrounds were awesome. I just wanted to run around for the longest and just and the just stare at stuff. It was just yeah. It, it had original. It had nice uh, cutscenes at the beginning. Got me hooked. Started playing it. Liked the combat. This whole thing. And I'm sure you guys will spend forever talking about it. But again, it's my <laughs> quick impression before I turn it over to you. And, and kind of like that. Then about. 
five to eight hours in, I hit this brick wall where all the bosses start royally kicking my rear end through my nose. And then I just yeah. uh, and I read about an FAQ where I had to go and farm a whole bunch of these weird mats. All of a sudden, I feel like what I have to go farm mats for hours on end. I feel like I'm playing an MMO. I didn't play the buy this game to play an MMO on my console, and that's when I put Valkyrie Profile back on the shelf. And every once in a while, I put it back in just to see how pretty it is, and then I put it back away. Okay, yeah, so now Valkyrie I turn it over profile. to you guys. <laughs> okay. If people thought the original Valkyrie Profile was kind of unbalanced, uh, Valkyrie Profile 2 takes unbalanced difficulty to a whole new level. Um, that that game is grindy. Um, and anyone who says it's not grindy, clearly you had a magical tactic that I didn't have. Um, I did a lot of grinding in that game. Uh, it was not fun times. I love doing the battles, but I was not a fan of grinding. Like, one bit. <laughs> so, um... Hey, Phil, do you remember enough about the battle system to explain how it worked? Well, uh, hmm, let's see here. It would start out on uh, – yeah, you were like on a 3D playing field. You saw your character. You saw the monsters. I remember kind of uh, – I would run first, and it was that I had so much movement that I could use, and how I attacked the monster was important. And you had to press button combination. I don't remember exactly now I think about it. I just remember it was kind of cool and addictive. If you beat them fast enough or whatever. You got a better reward. Yeah, you got a better reward. And, and I was really enjoying the combat. I mean I was going through for five, six, seven, eight hours. I really, really liked that combat system. It was different. It was fresh for me. I never played the first one, so that didn't hurt. Uh, but I, I really I really enjoyed it until I hit the brick wall. And I, I don't <laughs> understand why I was getting through things so easily. And all of a sudden, you know, stuff was kicking my rear end. I, in my head, it just didn't compute until I read an FAQ saying that I had to go grind a bunch of monsters so that I could turn them in or sell them or whatnot so I could get specific yeah. armors and weapons so that now I could actually face these things that were kicking me in the teeth. Yeah. Well, how about the leader system? I, I like this aspect. That almost every battle up until the very end of the game has a leader, and if you kill that enemy leader, then you win, and you get the experience from killing all the other enemies too because they just run away. Yep. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That reminds me actually of like Earthbound. It gets to a point where it's like, oh, battles are too easy. You just run. I get your experience. Yay! Yay! That was a great idea. Seriously. But was um, it? Unfortunately, the enemies in Silmaria will not stop coming after you, even though you outmatched them 50,000 times to one. Well, part of the problem in Silmaria is that most of the time, especially in the later aspects of the game, you get gang raped. You will get totally gang raped, and sometimes it is not easy to target the leader, especially when the leader um, sits in the back is row. Is hiding behind uh, four or five other enemies that you have to yeah. get through first because the battlefield is really narrow. Yeah, and that happens a lot in some of the later dungeons. That being said, um, while the leader system is really great, um, the, I know for me the grindy aspect just kind of killed the battle system for me. Um, but the other thing that I'm not actually huge on with Silmaria is its story. Um, when I was younger, I mean, I just went on gushing about Leneth, and Leneth to me was like an RPG role model in a lot of ways, especially for a lot of young girls, because she was very different. Um, in well, Valkyrie Profile 2... Let me intro Silmaria for you. Yeah. Because Silmaria is a very different character than Leneth, since she, for some reason, has broken with the gods and is now... Sharing the body of young Princess Alicia of Japan, and Japan uh, is completely a ghost town in 
the original game, which means, in case you didn't already know, this takes place far in the past. Yep. And, yeah, Leneth, Silmeria and Alicia have the interesting relationship of, well, at any time, Silmeria can take over the body and talk in her place. And she is a far more forthright and dynamic personality than Alicia, since Alicia has been kept in a tower all of her life and quails from conflict. Yeah, Alicia is not conflict-driven as a character. She's very uh, dainty. Uh, If she had it her way, everyone would have a discussion. There'd be no fighting. There'd be no arguing. She's very timid. And that's not a knock against her. It's just, unfortunately, uh, when you come off of Leneth, where (laughs) Leneth is queen badass, Alicia's kind of a letdown. Because you're moving from a very... I think the battle quote I heard from her most was, I want neither to harm nor be harmed. Yeah. Um, and that, that says a lot about her character, unfortunately. Um, Although, late in the game, she does get new battle quotes because Silmeria is ex- is ejected from her body, and she becomes a lot stronger after that. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of what Valkyrie Profile's story is really about in a lot of ways. Alicia is kind of growing into what it means to be a woman. It's very much about her journey out of uh, into adolescence and to learn about what it means to have conviction, what it means to have personal strength. Alicia is someone who doesn't want to fight, but Silmeria being within her body, Silmeria is the character who's trying to explain to her that, unfortunately, conflict is necessary if you wish to change the world. And Alicia is so set in her ways that the idea of her changing the world seems very daunting. She's she's very afraid to do it. Um, and part of what I do love is the dynamic between the two characters. So Maria is always, although very forthright, she's she's always trying to teach Alicia a lesson. Even when she's putting Alicia down, she's trying to explain to Alicia that, you know, it's okay, we're going to get through this, but you have to be stronger. And until you figure out how to be stronger, you know you will not progress the way that you want to because, you know, Silmeria obviously sees strength in this young girl. She just, the young girl does not see the same kind of strength, which is, is kind of interesting. Like their dynamic is, is actually very beautifully done. Um, especially because Alicia, despite being very weak willed, yes, she grows into her character. Um, but for that beginning of the game, she can be kind of irritating with her mm-hmm. attitude. With, because her attitude is very wishy-washy. And and for me, coming Beginning up with Leneth, of the game, meaning the first uh, two-thirds of the hours. Yeah. She's a very wishy-washy character. And um, when you have to deal with her kind of being whiny and kind of being depressed, you do want to smack her. I mean, thankfully, Silmeria metaphorically smacks her for the player, so it's not a big deal. But it still can get kind of irritating because you almost want to slap this girl and say, suck it up, princess, you can do it. Because every every soft she's like, I can't do this. It's too scary. It's too scary. I can't do this. And all the characters are like, Can you just shut up and do it? <laughs> and like, also for a girl who's eighteen years old, she looks twelve to me. Well, again, I think that's the dainty princess look. And then when she turns into Samaria, she she does look her age. But I think that's just the way that they change the facial expression on her. Yeah, to I, give her that more hardness. All the character models in this game look really good, but they all look like gelflings from the Dark Crystal instead of people to me. <laughs> they have a very um, doll 
like quality in their facial expressions. I kept, uh, I'll I kept give it that. Skeksis to show up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only character who really doesn't have that problem in his look is Arngrim, because yes, Arngrim totally makes an appearance, and he's still just as hardcore as ever. I mean, if not worse. And he's but voiced I'm, by someone. I don't like his voice in Silmaria as much as I did in the original, though. Yeah, it, it kind of lacks the punch, doesn't it? And for a while, you have somebody named Leone on your team, and she I, has a mysterious. Maybe, yeah, maybe Triace named Leone because they were watching a bunch of spaghetti westerns. I don't know, but she also she, has a Valkyrie in her. She's Hrist, the she Valkyrie Hrist. we have not. Well, yeah, she talked about. get to play as her at the end of the game. Yes, you um, with Leon with Leone. She has Harist hidden inside her body. Harist, you know, of course, trying to be an agent, trying to uh, eject the soul of Silmaria from Alicia's body. By being Leone, she felt that the need that she could infiltrate the situation a lot easier. She also uses Arngrim to her advantage in the situation as well. One thing we should mention about Leone and Arngrim when they're both in your party, that is probably the single longest chapter of the game, chapter three. Yeah. While you search for the dragon orb, oh, it's not there. Let's go somewhere else. Oh, it's not there. Let's go to another big dungeon. Oh, it's still not here. Let's go into a fourth big dungeon. Oh, it's still not here. Let's go into the fifth big dungeon. Yeah. So the pacing you, in chapter three is atrocious. But there I mean, are also a couple of optional things in chapter three that you better do in chapter three, or else you're never going to get more pouches for seal stones, uh, which we'll talk yeah. about shortly. Yeah, the thing about chapter three is that um, even though you're forced to go all the way around to get the dragon orb, whatever, um, Leone is very suspicious throughout that chapter. I mean, you kind of knew there was something not quite right with her. She looked at the situation as, oh, okay, so we're going to another another dungeon, not a big deal, right? Whereas everyone else is like, ah, like another dungeon. This is awful. Um, but she, you know, she's looking for the dragon orb as well, but she figured this is an easy way to manipulate the situation, make a little girl do it, right? Yeah. A little girl is stupid enough to do it, might as well. Which, that's the thing. Alicia does a lot of really stupid things in the game. <laughs> but the thing is, it's not her fault that she does these stupid things. You know, or her mentality is she's helping everybody. You know, I'm helping everyone. It's not a big deal. Yeah, and she's, she's just a very naive, trusting soul. Yeah, and you feel kind of sorry for her because everybody takes advantage of her. Every character, every plot-specific character uh, really takes advantage of her. Um, another one we haven't touched upon yet is Rufus. Yes, the only guy who stays Captain with Jack the Arrow. Party. Yes, he is Captain Jack Arrow. Um, you know, he's very... Uh, He's a, he's a bit of a chatterbox. I mean, Rufus is very uh, ca- very casual kind of character. You know, when yes, he appears. Yes, if you thought at the beginning of the game that he that his character seemed kind of random, well, eventually you will find out how serendipitous it was that he and Alicia met. Yeah. How, how, against all odds, another person who is desired by the gods, in this case, Odin wants to use him as a vessel, would meet each other. <laughs> Yeah, kind of freaky if you think about it. But then there's another character who also has this problem, which is Dylan. Dylan, who is actually Bronze. Bronze. And of course, Dylan is there. Coming. 
No, but there's a reason why he's there. I mean, in the first game, you see Silmaria trapped in a crystal uh, hanging above uh, Brahms's head. And Brahms makes a notion that he's in love with Silmaria, that, you know, he's keeping her for a very, very selfish reason. Like, he is in love with her. Um, and this kind of extends into Valkyrie Profile 2 in the reasoning why Dylan joins the party. Um, he's secretly Brahms, and Brahms wants to protect Alicia, because as far as he's convinced, you know, the, bo- the soul of Solmeria needs to be protected from Odin. But they don't realize that Odin's not the one they need to be worried about, because there's another party member who joins by the name of Lazard Valeth. <laughs> and he and- sticks with you for quite a while and is a good mage, until the he plot be- thickens. He betrays you. Well, no one saw that one coming. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's Lazard. No one saw that coming. But what First makes it's the a plot? It's a gigantic throwdown in which Freya is tra- no, the mages of Japan are trying to use uh, whatever that that tome of sorcery or that yeah. gigantic prismic crystal in which they trapped everyone and were trying to separate Silmaria from Alicia. And Brahms revealed himself, and Lazard vanished for a while, and Freya came down to mess Pretty much warn up. everyone. And Hrist was also there, being separated from her vessel. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this scene. And just to make matters worse, Lazard pretty much says, uh, by the way, I'm screwing you over now. What I do like about the plot twist, though, is the fact that, I mean... He is your villain in the game. And as trusting as Alicia is, she doesn't see the demonist qualities within Lazard. And in Valkyrie Profile 2, because he's the final boss, you kind of learn that he kind of goes back in time. He builds a machine, goes back in time, with the logic of, I'm still going to bone a Valkyrie. Like, how yes, hilarious is this? She has the same logic. <laughs> He used the machine that the magicians in Japan used, and you did go back in time briefly in the first one for an interesting yeah. scene. So there he, there he goes. He uses that machine to go back in time and uh, become a god. And at first he helps you fight Odin, and Odin is a real jerk. He has a move that will pretty much guarantee destroy anyone it touches. Yeah. But once you beat him, well, Lazard takes Odin and... Attempts to fuse himself with Odin in order to become a true god and make an, an entirely new world off, off of the Yggdrasil tree that he can govern as he sees fit. Oh boy, does that end badly, though. <laughs> Can't imagine the world, the world he creates is obviously a world in which no humans can really, you know, habit. And now, as now far I'm as almost at the end of the game. I just beat the Homunculus Lazard and Homunculus Sumeria. But yeah. apparently I have to fight him a couple times before it's over. And he's you going- have at least two more fights with him for sure. So what ends up happening, especially in the final area of the game, is that you get a visit from Lenneth Valkyrie. Oh, my God. Um, yes, and she-, she also traveled through time. There's a lot of time travel at the end of this game. (laughs) She travels through time because she's chasing Lazard. She's chasing Lazard because she knows exactly what he's up to because it's the same bullcrap from the first game of I need souls and I need to create a homunculus and I want to be a god and why don't you love me? And Lenneth going, because you're disgusting. 
we've yes, established him this. dropping hints like at last my true love has arrived and soon we will be together yeah what kind what's kind of interesting about the game though is with Lazard is that he has no desire no desire to bone Silmaria or Harist. No, he's still on the same running obsession with Leneth because Leneth is the one who plays hard to get. Like there, there's no real explanation. She just plays hard to get and he loves it. He is completely enamored with the idea that there's a woman out there who doesn't want him. Meanwhile, no <laughs> woman wanted him in the first place. So it's kind of like, oh, honey, you really don't understand dating and I know that you're kind of nuts, so I won't explain it to you because it's just not a good idea. But he ends up taking the Valkyrie. Leneth, he ends up in a situation where he actually kidnaps Valkyrie, Leneth Valkyrie. And uh, pretty much he puts her once again in a giant crystal and says, you and I are going to do the nasty and I'm going to get my godhood. And it's just awful. a good theme here. Yeah, it's it's pretty <laughs> awful. Lazard doesn't have a whole lot of motivations Real. except for this one. His 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 motivation really is, I'm a horny necromancer. I want what I want. If he had it his way, he was going to make lots of little Valkyrie babies. Um, like he really has no real like issue like other issues he just he really wants to be a god badly and i think maybe it just stems from the fact that he was probably picked on a lot as a child um it would make sense if that were the case but his obsession with valkyrie is a little disturbing i mean it's borderline you know we need a restraining order here but i mean to conclude lizard pretty much says if you wish to take me down you must kill a god so this game has you killing, you know, a man-made god. And the option in the final battle is that you can choose to create the ultimate Valkyrie with the souls of Leneth, Hurist, and Silmaria, or you choose to fight him as simply Alicia. Now, there is some issue with this because fighting is just Alicia, while she does little to no damage on Lazard by herself. Like, you'll have your party, but Alicia is just so weak that it's, like, this is really a case of you need to grind to, like, level 100 if you want to try to beat it. The benefit, however, is doing it as Alicia, you get a lovely uh, bonus ending scene, which uh, has little mini Lizard in it, which is kind of adorable. Uh, if you choose to fight as the ultimate Valkyrie, uh, you will have an easier time with the battle, but your ending sequence is slightly different. Well, there's but, YouTube for this. Exactly. I mean, the whole plot of Valkyrie Profile 2 is a little shallow, I guess, by comparison. So what has, now, like... Now, so speaking you, of explanations, Sam, do we ever learn exactly why Silmaria broke with the gods of Valhalla? Yeah, that's explained in the ending. So okay. I, I won't spoil that one for you because it's kind of worth not spoiling just so you'll get your explanation. Um, oh, I don't mind if you like, spoil it. That's what we're all about here. No, no, this is actually a rare case where I actually kind of don't want to, if that's okay. People okay. can go figure it out for themselves, but, I mean, you're playing the game and you're almost done, so it's kind of like, this is a crowning moment where I'd rather let the game try to explain it to you so you can kind of do a, well, what the hell. Because <laughs> that's what it is. It's a, well, what the hell moment. <laughs> Which, uh, oh. area, unfortunately, has a lot of. Yes, like that moment I mentioned to you a couple nights ago in Chapter 5, where in order to even get into Asgard, 
since Silmeria is no longer in Alicia's body, she must she must find some way to not be human in order to pass through. And in order to do that, we need to go all the way back from the Forest of the Elves to Japan to get the ghoul powder, which takes about 10 seconds of a cutscene, and then you have to go back to the Forest of the Spirits again. It's our old favorite, the Fetch Quest. Yay! Fetch Quest! I hate my life. Fetch Quest, right? Well, not in this game. Especially because that forest sucks ass. It is a horrible forest to go through. Yes, the forest has the very annoying feature of it has elves in it, and if the elves touch you, you go back to the beginning. So you always have to freeze them with your crystals. Yeah. Awful. (laughs) It's, It's just terrible. Actually, you know, there's one thing. Mistfires, the skill system of Silmaria. Oh God, yeah, it's awkward. It's not. It's not nice and simple like in the first game where you just get points that you dive into skills. No, here you every piece of equipment has both an element and a runic symbol, and you need to go through your entire inventory to match the symbols that are, and elements that are necessary to build a skill. And then you have to stick with that setup for a certain number of battles until you've learned that skill. And particularly for people you get late in the game, and all of the equipment that actually teaches good skills at that point you need to is pretty worthless. But if you want things that, say, buff up your defense by 20% automatically or buff up your magic defense by 50% or allow you to do massive damage to mages, then you'd better revamp your equipment setup and stick with it until you finally learn. And yes, you have an enormous inventory, and you're going to sort through it many, many times because there is no option to simply have the game automatically equip the runes necessary to learn a skill for you. Yeah. Um, it's needlessly complicated. I, I really didn't like the skill system in that game. I mean... I didn't think there was anything wrong with the skill system in the first game. So this was one of those weird design changes where it was like, I don't like this in the slightest. I mean, granted, there were ways to break the game using the skill system, but um, I already didn't like the grinding as is. So for me, it was just like, I have no desire to play the game-breaking game if it requires me to do more grinding. I just didn't care at that point. Um that's not to say that I'm down on the game. Like, there's stuff about the story I really love, um, the, and I and love the leader really, system. Really, really good. Oh yes, I'm like I love the leader system. I think that was a great addition. Um, and, and Phil was saying briefly, uh, the faster you can kill the enemies, the more crystals for bonus experience you get, which can be really good. If you can kill the leader inside of a few actions, then you'll get double the normal amount of experience just as bonus for ending things really fast. Yeah. So, well, like, those things are all well and good. I mean, the skill system was definitely one of the things that took a, a huge nosedive in this game. Another one, unfortunately... With the battle system that I want to bring up, which is dashing oh, in narrow areas. Half the time in narrow areas, people get caught on corners and don't join me so that they get beat up on by enemies that I was trying to avoid in the first place. I don't like that. Yeah, yeah that, that's kind of annoying. Um, <laughs> I was not thrilled by that either, actually. Um, one thing, though, that really, for me, makes Valkyrie Profile 2 a very incomplete experience is just the fact that the vignettes are completely gone. 
people just join you now when you randomly oh, find yes. a weapon on the ground or um, you find a tome or something. And uh, the game really wants you to open up, you know, your data log, read about the person. So while their 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 story is still really sad and everything, um, the amount of impact. It's in text, it's in text only, and the amount and you, of impact. And most of the stories that I've read aren't that long, and yeah. If you had time in, say, a novella to develop them, they would be really effective. But you only give me three or four paragraphs on a person. I can't get to know that person. I'm sorry. It truly is worth a thousand words in this case. Well, and that's the problem. Because Valkyrie Profile 1 really highlights the character deaths in this game, um, you don't care as much. I mean, it's great when you compare characters in combat together. Sometimes there's some interesting banter. Um, like if you put, I believe it's Lydia and uh, Lilia together for an example, um, they'll talk about, you know, I think it's being a princess and being like a supposed princess. Like there's certain ones where you put them together and there's good combat banter, but um, that's really not enough. Um, and it really does weaken a lot of the story. Now I recognize the story in this game is really all about Alicia's growth and all that kind of stuff, but Part of why I was so drawn to the first game was simply because the vignettes are just so touching, and they really provide a powerful aspect of storytelling that you don't see in a lot of video games, let alone a lot of RPGs. Um, yeah, so mean, taking that... The, the original Valkyrie profile, especially for character development, has some of the best character development in any game. Yes, and that's the thing. When you take that element away from it... Um, you really have a very weak story by comparison, especially because um, a lot of the character development dumps around so much in Silmaria. The only character who really gets good development is Alicia and Silmaria. And that's because it really just is their story. Everyone else really does feel very much... Rufus gets some, but in Chapter 5, I thought his uh, sudden caring for Alicia seemed to come kind of out of the blue. I didn't see any... uh, middle term stages where they sort of got to know each other and like each other, but suddenly they go. Rufus goes to the point where he won't leave her behind. You're coming with me. We're not well, leaving each other. <laughs> Rufus and Alicia have the same kind of relationship that you see with Squall and Rinoa in Final Fantasy VIII. Um, there's something very sudden, and you don't kind of know why it's there. Because, you know, we, like we've talked about with Final Fantasy VIII, Squall kind of sits there and goes, I hate this girl, I hate this girl, I hate this girl, oh my god, all of a sudden I care about her. In Rufus's case, Rufus starts out with his quest being very, very self-absorbed and very selfish. And then, out of the blue, all of a sudden, he realizes, I guess, that his quest is intertwined with Alicia's. I mean, they have, they, their quests do go together, and maybe that's kind of the reason why he starts to care for her, because he starts to realize her quest is his quest. At the same time, it feels a little forced in spots. So Rufus comes across as very disingenuous, like very to a point where it's kind of like, you're kind of a douche. Like you only <laughs> care about her now. Way to go. Like, excuse my sarcasm, but that's kind of really how he acts. He, he really at the beginning of the game, couldn't give two craps about Alicia. She's kind of just there and he wants to follow her because he thinks that, it might lead him to his quest, and sure enough, yeah. And it mostly, does. he followed her because Silmaria took over and browbeat him into it. Pretty much, she pretty much was just like, uh, "You're coming with us. Do I have to?" Yeah. And Alicia's going, <laughs> "He doesn't have to." Shut up, girl. He does. 
kind of love those moments where Silmaria kind of turned around and said, Alicia, shut up. And Alicia going, blah, 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 shut up. <laughs> kind of love Silmaria for being kind of bitchy. <laughs> Just a bit. I kind of like that. <laughs> and again, I like my women having a little bit of feist to them, which uh, Silmaria has a lot of. And then Alicia eventually gets some. <laughs> yeah, but, after Silmaria leaves her, coincidentally. Well, I think that's the turning point, though, for her yeah. to grow up. And it works really well. So, like, the story's not horrible. It just has a lot of moments where a lot of things feel like they're hanging in the air, and you're not sure why that was kind of done. And the pacing at times is awful. Oh, God, yes. Definitely. The first two chapters take three, four hours each, and the third chapter took me a good 20 or so. And the fourth chapter is a mix between the two. It's uh, maybe six hours. It's fairly short, except there are a lot of intense bosses. Oh, those two mages in Japan. Had I not been power leveled, I probably would have had horrible problems with them because their their magic is really strong. Yeah. And then chapter five is, again, fairly long. Not made shorter through our lovely fetch quest that we mentioned. And then chapter six has essentially one thing. You need to go off and go through Lazard's tower and beat the crap out of him. Which I understand is easier said than done. Pretty much. Um, I don't know really what else there is to say about Samaria. I mean, again, the music is kind of recycled from the first game. I don't think so. I, I've been listening Some of to it is. A lot of the music sounds more like background orchestral score from a movie. You know, the sort of hmm. stuff that isn't meant to stand on its own and take the, the spotlight because it doesn't do that very well. I have found a few tracks that I like, and mm. Sakuraba's style seems to have varied a little bit. He's going for less of the obvious synth stuff and more for a synthy orchestral style with maybe some real instruments. I don't know. That's, that'd be a first for Sakuraba. But most of the music just doesn't stand out at all. Well, and I think that's my issue with it. Like, I don't remember. I'm sitting here going, I know some of it was recycled in some of the, the last areas, but I'm sitting here kind of drawing a blank and going, how much do I actually remember about the soundtrack in this game? And truthfully, I, I don't remember a lot about it. And it, that's kind of disappointing, considering the first game had a really strong score for the most part. Yes, it does. And I think every area had a unique theme, which this one does too, but... When you barely remember them, that doesn't help much. Yep. Which well, I guess we found a lot more positive to say about that than we will about the next one, didn't we? So here oh, we I go. Like this game. Valkyrie Profile: Covenant of the Plume is the third installment in the Valkyrie Profile series of role-playing games. It was developed by Trice and published by Square Enix for the Nintendo DS. Released on November 1st, 2008 in Japan, on March 17th, 2009 in North America, and in all PAL regions on April 3rd, 2009. It is rated T for teen. Okay, can I preface this a little bit? This was the first review I ever wrote for RP Gamer. Um, and it was a second opinion to Glenn Wilson's lovely 2.5. Now, Glenn, at the time, hadn't played the first Valkyrie Profile game, so he'd played the second one, he's like, yeah, it's, it's good. Uh, and then he played this one, and he was like, please tell me the first game is better. And I'm like, I haven't played this one yet. Why? He goes, because this one's kind of eh. So I played uh, Covenant of the Plume 
thinking, you know, this is a game that has a lot of wasted potential. And I say that with the utmost love because it has a great concept in that you're playing the antagonist for a change of pace. You're playing this guy named... uh, Let let me Not the antagonist, he's... I don't know how to describe... You're playing a dude. (laughs) You're playing someone who is not... Who is affected by the events of what the Valkyries do, but never took the forefront before. You're playing somebody whose father died and was taken by the Valkyrie, and you get... You get a brief window into what this game could have been by his mother being unable to fend for herself and blaming that on the Valkyrie taking her husband away, his sister dying and her and both of them blaming that on the Valkyrie because the Valkyrie took the man away. And you, this could have been interesting because it could have been a look at the people who, sur- who survived the Valkyrie's visits and blame the Valkyrie for taking people who were either already dead or dying anyway. But that's a reasonable viewpoint. People, even today, will look at inexplicable phenomenon that might be the hand of a god and say, and blame that god for their own troubles. Now, that's the setup. It could have been good. Now, Sam, since you've played the whole thing and I haven't, please go into why it is executed badly. Because the main character is a whiny emo git who you want to punch in the face every time he opens his mouth. There, I said it. Wilfred, because he's such a and kind of like an anti-hero, that concept is really great. But when you have to deal with this wanky guy who has severe daddy issues, and he's always like, the Valkyrie took my dad, the Valkyrie took my dad, the Valkyrie took my dad. I'm going to beat her. I'm going to go beat her up because she took my dad. Um, you just want to punch him in the face. And then kick him in the nads a couple times and just tell him to grow the f-, f up. Because life isn't fair. And what I love about the ending of this game is that Lenneth appears and she says, wow, you're whiny. I took your dad for a pretty good reason. And you know what? He was happy to be here. And that's what makes this, the scene kind of funny because Wilfred kind of sits there dumbfounded going, but you took my dad. And meanwhile, his dad's soul is right there saying like, you know, I died nobly and now I'm still fighting a noble cause, like even after death. Like he's trying to explain to him that, you know, fate works in mysterious ways. And just because you die a noble death doesn't mean you're going to be forgotten, which is the part of the problem is that Wilfred forgets that thinks that people are just going to forget his father's actions, the, these noble actions that he had. He, he thinks that no one's going to remember him at all, but him. And that's kind of where it's problematic because Wilfred is so blinded by his anger. And this is where the plot sets up. Wilfred is uh, visited by the uh, goddess hell. And she gives him a magical plume with the power to pretty much... Sacrifice his allies in order to invoke their full power for one battle, after which they die and are sent to hell. Yeah. So Wilfred has the power to pretty much take innocent people and murderize them. Now, why you would give an emo get this power is kind of beyond me, um, because he's kind of really, really whiny. Like, I cannot emphasize how much this character really angered me just because his reasoning for everything in this game is so shallow. So when... I'm in the middle of chapter four right now. I'm just going to say this about him. He has said when spoken to mostly, 
I have no hope. I have no salvation. I exist only to beat the Valkyrie. And every other line of dialogue he says is some variance on that with no change whatsoever. Yeah. It and unfortunately he stays that way throughout the whole game and even when Leneth tries well, to explain the situation to him like four, there's not a whole lot left of the game. Yeah, this is the sad part, is you're almost done. Um Wilfred's character is something that I don't think players can sympathize with. Um and when Leneth appears in the game, it's one of those moments where like, yeah, you go girl, you put this dumbass in his place because Wilfred really is a dumbass. He's just very narrow-minded. His goals are, I must avenge my father's death. I must avenge my father's death. Meanwhile, he meets his father, and his father says, I didn't want to be avenged in the first place. Which is kind of funny if you think about it. His father's pretty much saying, like, you didn't need to do any of this, um, and you're going to be punished for what you did. What I love is that his father pretty much says that Wilfred is going to hell. And the ending, one of the endings in the game is that, yes, he goes to hell. Um, Leneth punishes his butt and hell appears and says, well, our contract's done. Uh, you're joining me now. So have some fun in hell while you still can. And Wilfred, of course, is like, I made the wrong choice. Like he actually at that moment genuinely feels sorry for sacrificing his, like his allies and stuff. And it's that one moment of genuineness you get, but it's kind of one of those as the player, you're going, stupid dumbass right like you could have avoided all of this and you chose to be shallow and you didn't what yeah, i I'm, love I'm, about I'm, I'm, oh, how does the covenant how does covenant of the pluma connect to the the other two games exactly um, Not really it seems to be set in between the time periods yeah, of them yeah. thus you could have had fertile ground if the people you saw briefly in the first game who were left behind when their fellows became on harriar were the focus, but no, we get Wilfred instead, and uh, yeah, you don't meet anybody else you've known except for, I guess, Leneth at the end, and you briefly see Freya and Odin and Loki in quick cutscenes, but they don't matter much. And we never saw Hell before, so she's kind of new, too. Well, you see her sometimes in the first game, depending on uh, key uh, and on Harrier moments. Like, I had her appear a couple of times with Ben Olis when, like, she fights with him but that's only if his hero level is high enough and it the, the scenes with hell and some of the other uh, underworld gods are very rare and you have to do really specific tasks to get them in the first game whereas here she's she's very much the manipulator and she's perfectly yeah, okay she's, doing she's that some, some lady named Aleth who serves as pretty much a maid who nags Wilfred that's her only function because she doesn't fight at all I thought when I got her Hey, somebody else I can use in combat. No, no. She's worthless. She she just nags. Get more sin for the plume. Hell is yeah. <laughs> I gotta love the fact that this game, I think, really was playing on the fact that Wilfred is such a joke that they gave him a nagging maid. Rather than give him someone useful, they gave him pretty much a wife. And said, okay, wife. Tell me what I have to do so I can roll my eyes at you a couple times. And meanwhile, she's just like, no, 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 you need more souls. And if you don't get me more souls, I'm going to kick your ass. Like, I am afraid of that scary maid. She she just gave me the willies. But now, now what Sam, I, mm-hmm. we haven't gotten gone into yet why exactly Wilfred would need to use the plume to, to invoke the plume on his fellows, have we? Not really, no. I think it's fairly important. You it goes to the balance that. issue. 
Oh, yes. Um, so here, here's the thing. If you invoke the plume on one of your party members, pretty much that character can instantly kill any enemy in the game. Uh, High-level bosses, you name it, it can murder anything. However, using the plume will net you the super ultra bad ending in the game. So the more time you use it, the more you put yourself at a disadvantage in the final boss fight. I only used, like, I've only played this game once all the way through, and it's just because I really don't like it. I don't, I can't see myself playing it again. I only used the plume twice, and um, I only had two characters appear in my final battle who came to murderize me. So whichever two characters you pick, they appear at the end of the game uh, with Leneth, and they will fight you. And they will pretty much say to Wilfred throughout the final bits of the game, you killed me for no real purpose other than your selfish gain. Now, the more characters you kill with the plume, the more that appear in the final battle. And when they appear in the final battle, they're very overpowered. Now, because this is also a tactical RPG, one of the elements is that um, in order to get your overkills on, you have to... um, pretty much take all four of your characters because you're only allowed four, which this also kind of throws the balance issue off. And you pretty much have to take those four characters and gang rape the one enemy, whichever one it is that you're fighting. You can't really send characters um, to farther depths of the map map because in most cases they will probably get their butts handed to them. Um, Because the enemies also can link their attacks, and they will. And they will, and they will gladly do it to you uh, as much as they want, which is... Like, the balance issue really comes from the fact that using the plume makes the game very, very easy up until the very end. Pretty much the end battle will be the only hard battle you'll have in the game if you use the plume. If you don't use the plume, uh, it can make for some really challenging battles uh, and some really challenging bosses. Now, that being said, the game also has three paths in it, and... um, it's hard to tell kind of which path you're on because there's an easy path where um, you'll get this really, uh, you'll get one tough boss fight and that's it. If you get the medium path, you'll have a couple of really nasty beef fights that link together. And if you have the final, like the, the hard path, um, you'll get a, a bunch of like chained boss fights and around a couple other nasty little bits. The problem is that the game doesn't really tell you which path you're on until the very end. And it doesn't really uh, give you that point. Like, it doesn't tell you where the point of no return is. There's just one decision you make at the end, I believe, of chapter one, and that really initiates which path you get. Um, so that's also where the balance issue comes from. If you get the super duper easy path, it's a lot easier to get the best ending in the game because it's not an effort intensive. You get your one really difficult boss fight and you're fine. Um, in my case, my only playthrough that I had, I got medium path. So I had a couple boss battles where I, I had to sacrifice some people. Like I had gotten through most of the game until I hit this one boss. And I tried this boss many times without having to sacrifice somebody. And part of the problem is this this boss had uh he gets multiple attacks in a turn so if you get him doing multiple attacks in a turn plus his little gang rape friends uh you weren't surviving whether you liked it or not so i had to use the plume (laughs) and uh, i got the bad ending for it which the bad ending in this game is kind of awesome anyway since you know like i said lennox pretty much says you're kind of dumb and i'm gonna punish you for your ignorance but (laughs) this being a tactical title um it's it's balance is just all over the place. I mean, part of you in some battles just wants to use the plume just to get it over with because it's just so frustrating, uh, especially because 
one, you only have four characters. So you pretty much have to cluster your four characters together. But in doing that, you put yourself more at risk to uh, have double or triple attacks hit on you. So you really have to pick the enemies off one at a time because most of the time your characters are just not strong enough to go off on their own and fight by themselves. They're never going to be able to get an overkill, which if you get an overkill in this game, you pretty much kill the enemy no questions asked. Whereas, you know, in Lenneth, there was always the chance where even if you chained all the attacks together, you weren't going to guarantee to kill the ending, uh, kill the enemy off completely. In this game, you get an overkill. The enemy's pretty much dead, except on some of the bosses. Obviously, with the bosses and their bajillion hit points, that's not the case. But for little mooks, it was pretty great to just have four people corner the enemy and then just kill it instantly. But... I, I really did not like the pacing issues in this game and uh, the battle system. While it's a neat idea uh, on keeping the button mashing aspect there, the amount of strategy involved is, um, well, let's face it, there's not really a lot. You just got to hope that you stay alive most of the time or use the plume and hope for, you know, the easy, the easy button result. <laughs> so Yeah, and one other thing about invoking the plume after you've recruited a character and that character has uh, befriended Wilfred, that's it. The character never does anything else or is influenced by the plot. Okay? Unless Wilfred kills the character and then he or she will have a dramatic death scene followed by, again, nothing. There are no consequences until the end of the game. Everything exists kind of in a vacuum. Because mm-hmm. I I got the, this... Uh, this brother-sister duo of swordsmen, and one battle I was absolutely getting spanked, so I killed the brother. And so far, the sister has been absolutely fine with that. She has never remarked upon the fact that her brother never came back. I find that odd. Yeah, and that's the other thing. The characters in this game are just so one-dimensional. I mean, even Leneth, unfortunately, is very one-dimensional in her, in her cameo, because she's pretty much there to just spank you. And that's about it, which, yay, is great, because she's going to spank Wilfred, but at the same time... Um, he had it coming. He had it coming, <laughs> and you just don't care. You kind of just laugh at his misfortune. Um, like, these characters are just... There's nothing to them, and that's kind of a shame, because this is a series that's, series that's all about char- character-driven stories. And while we have a character-driven story here with the one character he's not a character that anyone would want to follow in the slightest. I mean, and if anyone feels sympathy for this character, I have to worry a little bit just because he's just not likable. And I know that's done on purpose, but you don't feel sorry for him. Like even when he has the moment of realization of, Oh God, I'm a jerk. It's like, well, duh. (laughs) Right. Like I, I don't know how anyone could possibly feel sorry for Wilfred. And I mean, yes, his noble intention of wanting to help his his poor, dear, sick mother, but even she just kind of looks at him like, you don't need to do that. It's okay. I'm not all here anyway, so what does it matter? (laughs) Like, she's just not all there, and he's just like, it's okay, Mom, I'll fix it. And meanwhile, it's like, no, you won't, because she's kind of too far gone. (laughs) Yeah, maybe she she wouldn't have been if you weren't so focused on getting vengeance of the Valkyrie that you had been there to take care of her. Pretty much, eh? It, it makes you wonder where this man's agenda was. <laughs> His very one-sided agenda. <laughs> I would like to praise one thing I've noticed, which is that Square's translators have done a very good job in rendering all of the dialogue with uh, very literate and formal 
type. Uh, you don't get any contractions. You don't get people saying, hey, yeah, let's go out there. They, everyone speaks very formally and properly. And I like that. I, uh, it, does, it does have a very good localization. Like, that's something you can't fault about the game. Especially considering if you look back at the original Valkyrie profile, I mean... Trias didn't really, I think, understand Norse mythology because there's certain characters who are not in the right positions. Uh, Freya's sister, Frey, for an example, is not an unher- uh, is not an Aesir. She's a Vanir, <laughs> and it's kind of like, uh, guys, um, she's evil. I know that she serves no purpose in this game other than to be really cute. She's evil. She is on the bad side. So yeah, it's and when it like, comes to Loki, you'd think the trickster god would have had more tricking people scenes, but no, apparently not. I mean, he doesn't. Um, well, at least they were smart enough to put him in the villain role. This is true. Having Loki as a hero would be a real twist. Oh, that'd be creepy. <laughs> Whenever I get my real Valkyrie profile free, because as, as I'm convinced, this this game just does not exist in the canon. I, I refuse to acknowledge it half the time. It's like when people say, what do you think of Covenant of the Plume? And I kind of go, what Covenant of the Plume? I don't remember that. Because <laughs> this this game is just, it, it just does not fit in the series. Like It would have been a great idea had it been executed, if we'd been given a character to actually care about but Wilfred's cause is not something worth caring about. In fact, he's just such a joke that you're, you don't care. And, I mean, the battle mechanics are very interesting. There's a lot of really good ideas, but again, it, it just comes across as very awkward. And in a lot of cases, you're always at the disadvantage in this game, which for a tactical RPG, that shouldn't be the case, I think. Yeah, I've also, also noticed... have the issue that... Uh... It, it seems that it would be a good idea that uh, if he wants to rescue his father, it should seem, that at least from a story point of view, that they should make it to where his father actually wants to be rescued. Well, I think that's kind of the fun, though. I think this, like, the, with the plot being such a joke, you got to love the fact that in one of the bad endings, his father's like, I didn't want to be rescued. You're so stupid. <laughs> it's like, you got to love that kind of twist because... I mean, that's the the key moment where he realizes that his desire to save his father was for nothing. It was completely for nothing. And, uh, I mean, it's it's just so funny because it's that realization of, well, dummy, now what are you going to do? Lenneth is going to spank you. <laughs> sorry, it's just fun to say that, but he, he gets spanked royally in this game, and you don't feel sorry for him. And... I don't know, it's just Covenant of the Plume just left a really bad taste in my mouth. The only two things I actually kind of like about the game were, um, I liked the concept behind it. The execution was just awkward. The visuals are actually pretty nice for a DS game, though. Like, it actually has pretty pretty decent visuals. It's, um, it gets a little murky at times, but not to a point where you can't really, like, where you can still see everything and it's okay. Um, the, the music is, this is the one where, yeah, it's, it's all recycled from the first game. Um, a lot of the themes and stuff, and the few original pieces that are in there, they, again, like Valkyrie Profile 2, they don't stand out, even in the slightest. So, I stand by my, my two, people were not happy with me, but as someone who's a big fan of this series, this, this one here just kind of made me go, my brain hurts, I don't ever want to see it again. And that's why I sent it to Jooms, because it's, it's like now you can enjoy my suffering. 
Yeah. I can pretty much guarantee I will not be giving it a gigantic positive group hug therapy. Um, I I can see some of the things that could have worked if they were integrated a little better. But really, most of the difficulty in this is artificial. The enemies are super strong and they'll beat the crap out of you unless you either use the plume or crawl along at a snail's pace and play defensive at every moment. Which is also because there are a couple optional battles, but there's really no way to grind in this thing. So the enemies will be stronger than you, and you have no way to counteract it. Yeah. And yeah, I'm already noticing that Wilfred is very, very one note. I don't hate him the way you do, but he's really pretty boring. And the oh, characters this- join him. They have cute scenes. They could have been good characters in the other games like the first, but instead they shut up instantly once they've joined Wilfred and... Well, Wolf wants to be in charge here, so he's pretty much just saying, um, I don't care what happened to you. Are you joining my party or not? And they pretty much go, okay. Which is kind of depressing if you think about it. It's like, you t- you have this, this one-note character who's pretty much like, are you done whining about what happened to you? My, my cause is more important, so you need to listen to me whine about it because, you know, I am in more pain than you are. I mean, your brother just died, but I really don't care because, you know, I lost my father to the Valkyrie. Um, if you look at it from that perspective, <laughs> it's like, if you look at it from that perspective, it's like, wow, how shallow can you get? <laughs> and that, that's it seems the Wilfred's, uh, It seems Wilfred's companions have even bigger self-esteem issues than... <laughs> Oh god, and some of the, like then Alicia. I know they made Alicia look like she was like Supergirl at this point. <laughs> Which I mean isn't saying much considering Alicia had a lot to work towards, whereas Wilfred has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Um so yeah. I mean th- there's not much else to really say about this one other than I mean I, I just I can't even recommend it to people. <laughs> I just there's nothing yeah, there. there. It's very some... hollow who seem to think very favorably of it for some reason. This game feels very hollow. I think that's kind of how I, I think of it. Like, I just I, I didn't very, care. I have a very mixed but dis, but definitely negative tainted take on it. Now, is that also because Glenn and I said it was dumb and awful, or <laughs> because you're actually seeing what's wrong with it? <laughs> Oh, I was completely influenced by what you said, and I never did any thinking of my own once I started to play the game. <laughs> it's just like, oh, God. <laughs> but you know what? If you like this game, that's cool. It's just when you really compare it to 1 and 2, um, it really feels like a hollow experience that just – if it, like I said, if the concept of the antihero had been executed better, um, you know, there, there could have been a real winner on this hand. But the fact that you get such a one-dimensional protagonist of the game, that's really problematic considering one gives you the amazing Lennox Valkyrie and two gives you the struggles and trials of Alicia slash Silmaria, who you care about. Alicia's not perfect, but you, you did give a crap about her and what she was going through. I just, I don't know how I can sympathize with this douche. <laughs> <laughs> And that, that's the perfect word to describe him. I don't care what anyone says. He's, he's a douche. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean... I have no positive praise for him. Positive so, praise. Ha ha. There we go. We're done it. 
<laughs> so that's kind of the sad part about our Valkyrie profile journey tonight, guys, is that you start out with this really, really strong game, you move to a second game that has a lot of great ideas, but to me personally, isn't as strong as the first game, despite having some really good ideas. And then you move to this thing that just... <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. It, it also demonstrates Triace hasn't made much tactical stuff before, because these battlefields really aren't all that interesting to look at, and they're not constructed as well as you would want tactical battles to be. Well, I think, you know, funny enough, Covenant of the Plume really showcases where Trias is trying to go nowadays. Like, I haven't played Resonance of Fate, so I'm not going to comment on that one, um, just because I don't know a lot about it. But People who love Valkyrie Profile, there's only one other Triax game they will say is considered another fluke, which is Radiata Stories. People look at Valkyrie Profile and Radiata Stories, and they look at the fact that both games have very strong story elements. And people keep constantly saying they're such flukes of games, because the amount of effort-intensive storytelling, the really fun combat systems, you really genuinely care what's going on. And... I love I love Star Ocean 2. I think Star Ocean 2 had a lot of really great ideas, even if the story didn't kind of make sense. But when you see after Radiata stories, Trias just goes in a very weird direction with its games. It still makes really solid combat systems, um, which Star Ocean 3 and 4 definitely demonstrate. Star Ocean 3 has the stupid MP death, though, which I hated, and I don't know why the hell you would have MP death in a game, but it happens. Um, but Trias it almost feels like they aren't able to recapture the kind of glory that was the first Valkyrie Profile game for me. And I've struggled in the last couple of years really trying to um, accept that in some ways because it's like, oh, you make such good battle systems. Why does your stories now suck? And that's the thing. Like, you have Star Ocean 3 and 4, and their stories are just garbage by comparison. You don't care what happens to the characters in those games where you look at Valkyrie Profile and when we do our backtrack on Radiata Stories you can see the amount of tender love and care that the characters get. Uh, and because I think it's coming into the plume comes so late in the cycle of games, um, the characters go back to a one-sided sort of personality which is very common in Star Ocean 3 and 4. So, I don't know what happened no, to Trias. I think it's maybe Infinite Undiscovery, too. That's another Trias game of recent years. Yeah. And, oh, God, let's not and, talk about that one. <laughs> one thing that seems really weird with the Infinite of the Plume, uh, with the um, first two games, you have these really great um, side-scrolling base-slash-action arches, and then you go to a tactical setup. Well, I remember this complete 180 on the setup for the series. Yeah, and this is the thing. It's it's exactly what Mike kind of hit on the head. This is Trias' first tactical game, and it really shows. It really shows that they really didn't understand how the formula of a tactical RPG works. Mostly because, while I love the fact that battles are actually pretty fast in Valkyrie Profile, Covenant of the Plume, um, the whole... (laughs) Of a tactical RPG is to be strategic and to think a lot of your moves through. It's like playing chess. You're thinking, you're trying to think one step ahead of the enemy in a lot of cases. And in Covenant of the Plume, um, it's just so sporadic that you kind of can't do that. So it takes out all the methodical parts of the tactical RPG, and that's not really a good thing. 
it really should learn to take lessons from, you know, a series like um, Final Fantasy Tactics, Tactics Ogre. I mean, if it had gone the more slow, methodical route, it probably could have been a really good tactical game. Why not Front Mission? Square has a lot of good tactical series. Yeah, they do. But, I mean, Enix didn't really... They're not known for... Like, the Enix side of things are not really known for tactical RPGs. Um, like I said, this is this is just the rare case of trying, trying something different, and unfortunately, it not really working at all. And, I mean, you can't fault... You can fault them for trying, but it's not worth it because they never went back to the formula. And I don't think they ever will. Well, it's only been two and a half years. Plenty of time to try try something else in this vein. Exactly. And I mean, if we ever get our next Valkyrie profile game, which, you know what, I'm still holding out hope for. um, Is that demo floating around? There is that demo floating around. And, I mean, just to throw it out there, I mean, this series just has so much love from its fans. um, And Covenant of the Plume, for a lot of people, was just, it was the slap, slap in the face. Now, that being said, there's one thing I want to bring up just before I, we close it off. But did you guys know there was a fan-made Valkyrie Profile fighting game? I did, because you told me about it. Yes, I showed you the pictures. I did not of know that. You did not know that? So there, oh, was no, this do- <laughs> there was a doujinshi-made Valkyrie Profile fighting game called Valkyrie Fight. And in the game, you could take control of uh, Freya, Harist, Lenneth, Arngrim, like, you name it, there was a bunch of different characters you could do, and it was all based on the first game. There was actually still overkill attacks in that game, and it was actually surprisingly a fun little fighting game. So, I mean, it just goes to show you that fans of this series really, really love the source material, that they're willing to even experiment with it a little bit, which is, is kind of refreshing. Um, so, yeah, I adore Valkyrie Profile. I'm happy that, you know, when I want my games to Mike, that he has been enjoying them because I know it's not an easy series to get people into just because it's very depressing in some ways. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I'm but fine you know with what? people die. But you know what? There's so much good to be had. Like, this, this was, I believe, Trice's swan song, and, I mean, as much as I haven't been happy with the company's recent offerings, I always kind of look fond back. Ah, uh, Tired, and I'm not thinking of good words here, but it's sort of their... Food de gras? No, penultimate? Yeah, it, it's sort of like the best thing they ever created, and oh my god, they're just... It, 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 is, it is the biggest gem in their crown. Pretty much. You know, like, yeah, most they're of the not rest be cubic zirconia. <laughs> they're not going to be able to ever recapture this glory, and I mean, just because a lot of the key people are gone, and... Um, you know, there's there's no way to recapture the first game without pretty much just giving it a full remake, which truly I don't want to see, considering the first game is already pretty amazing. Adding, changing anything to it, maybe maybe an updated localization would be nice in the first game because the the PSP version doesn't have an updated localization. It's pretty much a straight port. So, like I mentioned about you know certain characters being in the wrong sort of uh, Norse pantheon. Um, none of that actually ever gets fixed or addressed. So that part's a little depressing, but there's not much you can do about that part. That was sort of Trice's flub, and I don't think they cared that much about being completely accurate. 
And, yeah. and there's also taking into account that most of your average people that play these games don't know enough about the Norse mythology to even catch it. Pretty and much. The Japanese developers dealing with mythologies, not their own, it's hardly the worst. No, exactly. I mean, for the most part, it's it's decently done. Like, you still get the gist of what's going on. It's just not perfect. Yeah, things with mythology, people would be more apt to catch it if it was based on, like, Greek mythology or something. Well, not just it. There's not too many games out there that are really deeply rooted in Norse mythology, let alone RPGs. I mean, we did get uh, Too Human, but that's an example of taking Norse mythology and really making it something weird. So, I mean, kudos for them being different. I appreciate different when it appears in a JRPG, because lately... Man, the genre is just getting a little stagnant. Yeah, no, I think for the first game, if they were ever going to redo anything with it, an updated localization is really all that really could ever need change, because even for a 2D game, it still looks great today. It still looks great. It still plays great. I mean, it's a game that I know I can easily go back to, and I know exactly everything I need to do. I know what's going on in the story. and Like, like I said, a fresh localization might be the only little bit of polish it could use. And, I mean, the second game, I don't think you can change anything in the second game. I mean, it'd be nice if certain aspects made sense, <laughs> but I'm okay it'd with, nice you know... nice certain aspects were tightened? Yeah, but you know what? For what it's worth, it's not horrendous. Like, it, it still works. It's not perfect, but it's like, I can accept this. I just hope to God I never see another Covenant of the Plume ever again. <laughs> no more. No more Covenant yeah. of the Plume. Oh, so I can sell um, it. But do you want it back then? Huh? <laughs> oh, well, um, apparently the game never... was so horrible that she had to go away. No, I'm here. Well, so, sorry, um, Sam. I know discussing the game is just a source of endless pain to you. It really is. I, I am sad. Um, I've never played the second two, but um, I know based on our review score, if I was going to do the first one, I'd, I'd easily give it a, at least a four and a half. Yeah, see, I'm biased, and that's why I'll probably never be allowed to review it, because it would probably get an instant five from me, and I would not give a crap. And it's just well, because, hey, you know I what? reviewed it, and look what I gave it. And everyone cleared oh, me. This is true. I mean, Valkyrie Profile 1 just... You're never going to find another game like it. It's just... It's so unique, it's so fresh, and seriously, you're not going to find another RPG that has those types of elements and has it really intricately woven. Yeah, I, mean, I think some look- of that comes from Enix being the publisher, because Enix always did these weird and outlandish things until it merged with Square. And you can sense a little bit of that, only it's the kind of experiment works in pretty much every way. Yeah. And, I mean... Like, the PlayStation era was full of just really weird and unique games, but Valkyrie Profile was one of the few where the weird and unique was at its advantage. It it made it its kind of own beast, and, like, it's just a delicious game to revel in. There's just so much to discover. The characters are just so, like, perfectly crafted, and you can't change anything about the way that the characters are presented in that game because there's nothing to change. Like, Phil, you don't are... even need to get us to do a roundtable for the first game. We're doing it right now. 
Yeah, I kind of noticed. Well, we're doing a, we don't really need to do a roundtable because it's kind of easy to rank the games. Valkyrie Profile 1 is awesome. Valkyrie Profile 2 is pretty okay. Like, if I was to score it on our scale, it'd probably be like a 3.5. And Covenant of the Plume, well, I reviewed that, and no one else needs to talk about it because it's garbage. The Valkyrie, but the Valkyrie 1 PSP report or whatever, that's okay too? Yeah, that one's fine. Okay. I mean, unfortunately, it's the only way a lot of people are going to be able to play it and um, without forking out 100 bucks easily. Yeah, right? Yeah, this is one of the most appreciated games in the PS1 library, seems. Yeah, you're not going to find it under 100 bucks. Um, like, forget it. It's not possible because most people kept this game when they got it on PlayStation. I remember I had to beg my mother. I begged her. I was in a Toys R Us, and I said, Mommy, I want this game because I... Funny story, I played it up at my cottage. My next-door neighbor had it, and um, I didn't want to steal his game. Because <laughs> he'd lend it to me, and he said, like, you can enjoy it and stuff, but I was having way too much fun that I just kind of said, no, I want my own copy of it. So while I was in a small town, I, uh, I said to my mom, I'm like, I really want this game, and it was like $70 at the time. And my mom, being the wonderful human being that she is, she watched me play Valkyrie Profile and said, if this is going to teach you some interesting lessons that I don't have to teach you, <laughs> then I'm going to buy it for you. Because, you know, a lot of parents don't want to try to teach life and death to kids. I mean, most kids learn it through, uh, you know, a pet dying or something. I, I learned about death through Valkyrie Profile. <laughs> um, this is one of the few games that my mom actually sat and watched me play. And she actually would ask me all the tough questions like, do you think this person's death was justified? And uh, to me, I, I always appreciated the game a little bit more because I had someone watching over my shoulder and asking me these tough questions about how I truly felt about it. And as a little kid, most parents don't really take a huge interest in their kids' hobbies, but my mom, you know, she's a gamer. She got where I was coming from, and even she appreciated just the way that Lenneth was just so perfectly crafted. So uh, just taking a look at a couple prices for our listening audience. Uh, Valkyrie Profile, as you mentioned, for the the original one for the PlayStation One, is going for about eighty dollars used, a <laughs> uh, hundred dollars in like new condition, and if you want one brand new in the shrink wrap, you can get it with insurance included for a hundred and eighty bucks. Um, <laughs> Valkyrie, uh, the Valkyrie Profile Lineth on the PlayStation Portable. Uh, you can grab that guy uh, still brand new in the shrink wrap between twenty and thirty bucks, and uh, in used condition for a few bucks under that. Then you got um, uh, Valkyrie Profile Two uh, for the Sony PlayStation Two. Uh, that one's going for about fifteen bucks used, and uh, actually got a number of uh, brand new ones here in the area of thirty-five bucks or so. And last, and probably least, uh, Valkyrie Profile, <laughs> Covenant of the Plume, Nintendo DS 2009. Those are going used for under $10, uh, small wonder, and uh, brand new for about 15 So that's pretty much our, our wrap-up there. Any final thoughts before we leave? Uh, Lenneth is the best female protagonist you'll ever play in a video game. There, I said it. People come fight me on this, but you're not going to win, unfortunately. <laughs> and I admit, I admit to my egotistical behavior on this one. It's just no, you're you're not going to win. Um, she's probably one of the greatest female role models you'll see in a video game, and it's just because girls don't have 
those types of strong protagonists. And when we get them once in a while, we need to, tr- to cherish that character. Because then we're usually given a pile of poop for female characters. Poop. So, <laughs> so Lenneth, I love you. You made me into the woman I am today. Kudos to you. Uh, Wilfred, um, you'll never get a girlfriend, so stop crying. <laughs> uh, about Alicia? Any advice for Alicia? Um... Confidence, girl. You need it. <laughs> and when you get it, boys will love you. <laughs> yes, uh, Lennon Valkyrie, you are personally responsible for Sam wandering around the world in battle armor. There you go. Oh, I want battle armor. <laughs> yeah, Sam, you can fly, right? You learned that from Lennon. I will learn how to fly one day when I get my training. <laughs> I'm still at the stage where I probably need, like, training wheels on a bicycle. <laughs> Just because it's like, oh, God, it's so shaky. <laughs> oh, jeez. All righty. What about you two guys? Anything before we leave? Nope, guess not. All I right. don't know about the, I don't, I don't know about the second two, but the, um, the original Valkyrie profile has some of the best character development in any game. And, and I think the second... The second one has the most gorgeous PlayStation 2 3D visuals I have I have ever seen. There's a, there's games that I would remark for their 2D visuals like Odin Sphere and whatnot, but for pure 3D wowness, yeah, I, I, it still holds a little place in my heart. I still beat it up every once in a while, and then I put it away again. The first game, it's the complete package. It does everything right. The, the battles are fun. The mechanics are good. And, yes, you have a whole bunch of well-developed characters who you are very interested in, and Lenneth's story does not take up a whole lot of screen time. It's understated, and it's all the stronger for that. The second game is a mixed bag. I mostly give it a pass, but it has some issues, and, yes, if you don't want to spend time grinding, then you'd better learn how to farm enemies for the right equipment, or else you're in for a world of hurt. And Covenant of the Plume, um, do you like... A story that is uninvolving? Do you like battles that will make you either bored or frustrated? And do you like a company trying out a tactical game that is clearly not the pinnacle of the genre's excellence? If you do, try it out. If you don't, we have something in common. Let's put it this way. I think my horrible, horrible commentary will either bring people coming out and defending it or going, oh, God, that sounds like the world's worst thing ever. Exorcism, exorcism, finger pointing. When, of course, you only gave it a two, so there are clearly things much worse. Yeah, de- demi-kids, we've established it. <laughs> oh, jeez. What about or how about Brew Factory 2? Oh, this is getting out of control. We're going to be right back after this musical selection to wrap this guy up. What's Sam, you didn't like Room Factory 2? Uh, sh- we're coming back in a minute. <laughs>
Mr. Miki. Yes. Were there any interesting comments on the board over the last week or two? I sp- I assume you are referring to a particular facet of the board, such as that that deals with our material instead of anything that deals with other things on the site. Yeah, Am I correct? We really don't care about anybody else's posts for any of those other shows like The Sanctum or anything. <laughs> Let's see. The one I remember offhand about, say, our last major show dealt with Final Fantasy XI was Fire Mist posting... It was really weird to be playing a game at the same time you're talking about it. Let me refresh my memories on uh, what Elf said. Okay. That was a little... Noodle said that, Noodle said that the, the act track is awesome, and she argued with Fire Mist about dancers. A very important argument, I might add. <laughs> Just Doug said that he was looking forward to it, as he rarely gets the chance to hear about it for 11 from the mouths of people he doesn't play it with. And then he goes into a whole lot of jargon that I would probably understand if I was familiar with the various abbreviations used in Final Fantasy XI lore. Retro Vertigo said he absolutely loved the game until he eventually burnt out on it. It was the first and only MMO he ever played because he can't stand WoW's graphical style. And... Click said that for semi-soloing as a noob, a Hume or Galka warrior would work best. Paz said that she's restarted as a Mithra Red Mage. And I think we've already gotten far too in-depth Final Fantasy XI lore for anyone who doesn't care about it. So let's let's go over ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was a little disappointed we didn't have more comments on the D&D, double D&D episode. But maybe that's because it just went up, so maybe we haven't had enough time to get a lot of comments yet. So Yeah, and people are saying that the, R- the iTunes page was fouling up for a while, but now it seems to have been fixed, and I don't understand what went on, because I did everything exactly the same in uploading that page as I did for all the others. Bad RSS feed. But you know what? Apple has made mistakes, people. Like the human centipod? Like the human centipod? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Let us not go into that too much because I think we would have to censor anything that relates to the human centipod. Okay. <laughs> that, uh, that self park was funny. <laughs> <laughs> in any case. Any case. Um, uh, let's see here. What a good read on the forums. Go, if you want a really good read on the forums, go read the symptom spread for the sexism episode. <laughs> the one let's that has not. closed down because people on the forums were unable to speak intelligently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, got, it got closed down after, what, I think like 70 posts. <laughs> I was so sad about that. Oh, well. I will yes, get my own ranting platform. Like, nice on the forums if you want to have nice things. Otherwise, they have to get taken away. That's just how it works. We had 70 people posting text on everyone. <laughs> oh, my God. In any case, last lap, Phil, because... In any case, is sick. there anything you would like to say, Miss Becky, before we go to our wonderful listening audience? Oh, I am not Becky. 
<laughs> you called me Becky. He, he did. I heard it. I'm just testing you to see if you're listening, Miss Marcamello. <laughs> oh, I cry. Yay! <laughs> I made somebody cry on the show. Uh, I made somebody cry on the show. Do I have anything left to say? No, you don't. Um, All right, Mike. <laughs> no, because no, I've already said my piece and I'm still sick, so. I apologize for all the nasaliness on the show. That was totally me. <laughs> you were comfortable. You, you were telling people all the time. I don't see problem. Well, I have a sinus infection right now, so that's part of the problem. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Mr. Minky, anything you want to share with the audience? Uh, let's see here. Since I'm not quite done with Silmaria or Kevin of the Plume yet, you haven't seen reviews for them, but uh, I can pretty much guarantee they will be reviewed by me in the near future, since that's what I do with everything I play. You crazy person, you. Yeah, well, somebody's got to take the crown for top reviewer on the site, and I'm the only one who can do it. Yes, you do have a crown that no one is ever going to, like, take from you. <laughs> None of us have any desire Especially to. since Adrian has stopped pl- reviewing everything he plays. I've noticed that. Indeed. <laughs> and I'm just picky and smarmy, so <laughs> I won't catch up to you anytime soon. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. I oh, how about you, Mr. I... <laughs> how Go about Roy. you, Mr. Roy? <laughs> um... I think I have what Ro already said on the games, but listen to the sound. Yay! Yeah. We just put it, there's a new episode We've out. Got... Yeah, there is. We just did an ideal setting yesterday, and we're getting ready for a pre-E3 show. Yay, Woo-hoo. pre-E3. But Sam's going to be on vacation for E3, so she won't have to lo- upload anything to the site. Yay for you. Yeah, but I'll be here to talk about Rune Factory with everyone, which is so exciting, because we're going to have our return of crazy Scottish woman Ada. (laughs) (laughs) Which means there's going to be lots of yelling about Mist and why Rune Factory 1 has a creepy stalker woman. (laughs) (laughs) I can't bring my shoes anyone but the creepy stalker woman. (laughs) In any case... (laughs) I mean, she's on the box art. How do you argue with that? <laughs> she's still a nut job. In any well, case, that clearly so... means that the game wants you to empathize with her. You're supposed to empathize with Crazy Stockman if she's the face of the game. No, thank you. No, <laughs> ha, ha, I'm on vacation. On the box <laughs> ha, 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 I'm on vacation. Ha, 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 No easy for me. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway. I think we have officially derailed. I think so. I think it's time to put this puppy on the bed. So let me do my official speech. I want to thank Mr. Mike Mickey for doing an outstanding job putting this together. And to our audience, we thank you for listening to RPG Backtrack. As always, you are the reason we do this. You know, actually, Mike, you should read this speech in the Inspector Gadget voice. Can you do that? Uh, Here, I'll paste in a Skype really fast, and for the benefit of our audience, you can read these. You can read this for us, and, and yeah, just just read that. Uh, I usually stick something about RPG Sanctum too at the end with okay. the other one, but other than that, it's just that same speech. Go ahead. RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. 
Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jc7 at rpgamer.com and help shape our future shows. Don't forget to follow us on twitter.com slash rpgamer and become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. As always, listen to our previous podcasts as well as our awesome sister show RPGcast at rpgamer.com. Don't worry, Chief. I'm always on duty. Does Dr. Claw want to take us away? <laughs> I will not do that in Dr. Claw's voice, sorry. No, no, I mean like something like, I'll get you <laughs> next time, gadget Maybe. or something. I don't know. <laughs> let's, let's go through what I actually wrote first. All right, go through what you actually wrote so we can go to bed. Unless, of course, you want me to do this in Dr. Claw's voice. Woohoo! Feel my flame! But going back in time will let us experience more adventures in Midgard and Asgard. Maybe next time we'll learn about Rist. Maybe Freya can adventure through Midgard. Maybe Hell can really tear loose. And maybe Marvel can claim copyright issues if Thor takes a bigger role. Trice owes us something as thoroughly awesome as the original game, and the company might just come through someday. Until then, look back on the pinnacle of the PS1 era, Leonard's great story that has aged like renowned French wine. Instead of the wedding cake, Elaine Bennis ate. Yes, Mad Cat, yes.